Great, thank you. So this is the March 6th uh, OA Rise meeting. Can I please have Stephen read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous? I just asked you to unmute there, Stephen. Stephen, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Terrific. Thank you so much, Stephen. Um, and we have Jackie is going to read the 12 traditions. Um, Jackie, I'm asking you to unmute. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, I'm Jackie from the Bronx. Uh, 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity, too. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other OA other groups or away as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, OVDs Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OVDs Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into controversy. 11, our, pro our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation for of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities past. Terrific. Thank you so much, Jackie. Okay, according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. 
Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, which is info at oarise.org, or you can visit our website at oarise.org and click on the Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 will allow the OA Rise speaker meeting to continue. Okay, so first, before I introduce our speakers, Karen and Angie, I want to let everybody know, I don't know if anybody is here today uh, based purely upon the original topic that was uh, scheduled to be spoken on today. We had a bit of a mix up with our scheduling. And so um, Karen and Angie were scheduled to speak on May the, or sorry, March 20th about experience, strength and hope. Um, but another speaker got booked in there as well. So Karen and Angie have just so gratefully agreed to come and speak with us today. So the topic for today is experience, strength, and hope. And the topic that was on the flyer for next, for today, which was the three C's. I will find what that is and say that at the end of the meeting. That is going to be on uh, March 20th instead. So thank you again so much to Angie and Karen. It is now my pleasure to introduce you to our speakers. Our first speaker today will be Karen, um, and she'll be sharing on the topic of experience, strength, and hope. So I'm turning it over to you now, Karen. Thank you, Sherry. <clears throat> okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen. I'm a compulsive reader, and I really hope my internet stays <laughs> strong. <laughs> so there, we've been having some issues with the service provider this weekend. So, um, so I guess I'm spotlighted. Let me just see if I can. I don't want to see me so big. Okay, there. <laughs> no. All right. So um, I am from Ottawa, Ontario, uh, Canada, and I have been in the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous since 1989. Um, the plan today for what Angie and I were, we're going to tell our stories basically in some depth about 50 minutes each or so. Um, we also uh, have a Q&A session after the second break and we also have, uh, you know, some a question that we'll pose for you guys to share on as well so that it's not just the two of us talking for three hours. <laughs> This was a long workshop, <laughs> but Sherry convinced me that it goes by quickly. So God is in charge. So, um, so my story, I came, as I say, I came in 1989, uh, in May, I was 60 pounds overweight and I, I couldn't stop eating. I mean, that was what, uh, that's why, I mean, I just wanted to lose weight. I didn't come here for a spiritual awakening. I just wanted to lose some weight. Uh, so, and I did, I did lose weight. I lost 60 pounds, but I gained a life. I gained relationships. I gained self-esteem. I mean, there's, you know, I would have sold myself short if all I thought I was gonna do here was lose weight. It's about so much more than that. Um, so, I mean, really, when I came here, I was, well, I mean, I, I, I'm going to do some reading quotes from the big book, but I was living in the bedevilments that we talk about on page 52 in the big book. 
we were having trouble with personal relationships. Check. We couldn't control our emotional natures. Mm -hmm. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. Uh, we couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. So we call these the bedevilments on page 52 in the big book. And, you know, the, the door goes both ways. I can, to me, these are the promises of relapse. Um, and so if I start getting, feeling like I'm living in the bedevilments, you know, I could be headed towards a relapse, right? So, um, but the, all of this stuff was true for me. I was... Um, married with children who I well one I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here but um one when I came into OA I had one child and I was abusive to the to my child because I had been raised with abuse with physical abuse and so I mean this was a learned behavior that I was passing on which is not a good thing to think about um my so basically food was food was my friend food was my coping mechanism food was the solution to all of my problems at least that's what i thought it was a big fat lie um it was my escape and and really it was my higher power right and i mean i feel i'm a good addict i don't do something for nothing i was getting something out of all that eating right um and so my history with eating is I was always on a diet, uh, used food to cope with change and to deal with emotions. I came from a dysfunctional family. Uh, my dad was an auctioneer. And uh, if I'm talking quickly, I come by it honestly. <laughs> my brother was an auctioneer, my cousins, my uncle. Um, but anyway, family of auctioneers, we talk quickly. Um, and so my dad started running an auction barn in the back of our property and put me to work at a pretty young age. And guess where I got to work? In the canteen selling the chocolate bars and the chips, <laughs> which was a great place for me because not only did I eat all the profits, but I stole the money and got more because I have a disease of more. I always wanted more. A couple of chocolate bars was never enough. I had to have more. And I was very sneaky about it so that he never knew. And he didn't pay a lot of attention. I could just, I could manipulate the situation to my advantage, which I did. Um, so I was like introduced to, I was, I could easily get my sort of drug of choice, the sugar at a young age, easily. No one was paying any attention. So, um, and when I went off to university, uh, I was studying German. And the third, in the third year, they have this third year abroad program. And I lived in Germany for a year and I ate my way through Europe. Like the chocolate's very good over there. <laughs> I was like, and I was a lot bigger when I came home. So uh, then, and again, like change. I just, I don't do, I never have dealt well with change. I've always needed the food, you know, to cope. I went off to university and and, um, you know, needed, I moved to Ottawa from, I was in the Toronto area for, that's where I was raised. And then I moved uh, to Ottawa again. I didn't know anybody here. It was a change. I found myself on a Weight Watchers, different diets, but I found myself seeing an eating disorder psychiatrist within six months of being married and moving to Ottawa because all I was doing was eating. <laughs> like, there was a problem here. <laughs> Um, 
And so I just, before I get back to the rest of my story, so for the last two months, I've been living at my mom's house in Oshawa, taking care of her. She was hospitalized over, well, New Year's Eve, actually, with a pericarditis heart issue. And so my aunt from Kingston, I picked her up and we drove down there on the 4th of January. I, I just got home on Thursday. So I've been gone for two months out of my house, away from my life, <laughs> my family, my friends. So spending that much time with my mother was interesting because I always used to blame my father for my eating issues because <laughs> my dad was 300 pounds. He was overweight. But my mom, hmm, I learned some stuff. Like she has a lot of health issues and shouldn't eat chocolate and she was eating it anyway. And she was always pushing food on me. And anyway, I, I just really like, I used to, I guess it was both of them, <laughs> but you know, I learned some of these behaviors, right. As I was growing up from both of them. And um, I saw some, yeah, I'm sure she learned stuff about me. I mean, we haven't lived together right? Since I was a kid. So two months together when you're thrown together and I was taking care of her, we learned some things. In fact, I'm in the process of step work. <laughs> so I'm talking to my sponsor tonight. So I figure I may as well get started on this because she's pissed me off again. So, you know, thank God there's a solution. I don't have to eat over it. So anyway, so back to my story. Um, my so I got married when I was 25 and my um, husband and I had a baby uh, my first my my first child Eric it, I guess uh, 1988 he was born and oh my god I just uh, as soon as that baby was weaned I was a sugar crazy person taking the kids the kid out in snowstorms. I mean, we have, there's, it's actually quite wintry here in Ottawa, quite a difference from the Oshawa area. <laughs> Driving out in snowstorms to get food because I would never keep it in the house because I'm going to be good and I'm not going to eat that stuff. And then I throw it in the garbage. I actually learned when I came into OA that people poured soap on it so they wouldn't pull it back out. And then I'd be the next day going, damn, why did I do that? Now I want it. I have to go get more. So I was back out in the stores with this little baby. Um, and, you know, they came out with new chocolate bars I hadn't tried in that six-month period. So I was a lunatic for six months. Uh, well, all of that time, but uh, after I had my baby. And I ended up calling the Overeaters Anonymous number in May of 1989. So he was almost a year old then. Um, only because my husband was threatening... <laughs> not threatening divorce, but threatening to take me to a marriage counselor anyway, because we were having issues because I preferred the food to intimacy, to relationships. And so um, we, um, we went off to see a eating or um, a, a EAP counselor at his work at Nortel. And this one, we just, <laughs> he, he told her that well, we're having marriage problems because Karen is fat. So if we could get Karen thin, we wouldn't have any more marriage problems. Well, what a joke that is, right? Because, you know, I would be the same person, thin. The, the steps are an inside job. I heal from the inside out. So getting me thin wasn't going to solve any of the problems. Um, 
So, uh, but but this EAP counselor told me about Overeaters Anonymous. And so for that, I'm very grateful. I started going to meetings in May of 89. I was over 200 pounds at that point. I stopped weighing myself. I feel like I went into a bit of a unconscious state during all that last little bit of binging where I didn't really realize what I was doing to myself. And I got on the scale one day when it was over 200 pounds and went, oh my God, how did that happen? Like, where was I when this happened to me? So yeah, definitely some denial going on there, right? And so I started my journey in Overeaters Anonymous. It was, I had a slow start. I wasn't convinced that I couldn't do it. <laughs> That's the problem with coming in young, right? Because I was only 29, 30 when I came in. And I just kept like, you know, we didn't have a lot of OA literature back then. I'm not alcoholic. I didn't get this book. I didn't. <laughs> so, so I wasn't convinced, you know, I just needed to do a little bit more research <laughs> for two and a half years. And it turns out I really am a compulsive overeater. So um, I also had, wasn't totally convinced of the second part of step one, you know, that my life was unmanageable. But as it turns out, it is. So um, I've got a couple of notes here that I'm looking at, and it's distracting me. So maybe I'll stop looking at them. So anyway, so I came in. So the first two and a half years, I was kind of doing what we call the OA waltz. Steps one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Because four looked very scary, and I didn't need to do that. I didn't have any of those problems that you have so guess what I stayed in the one two three because I didn't do step four so I didn't move on in recovery um, so I kept losing my I don't know if I ever really had abstinence at the beginning I know um, in the first year I had lost a lot of weight because I'd switched to compulsive exercising um, to the point where if the baby woke up before I was done my exercising I would leave him to cry because I had to finish what I was doing so that I could lose all this weight. Uh, talk about crazy. I mean, <laughs> and so that that's not an abstinent uh, person, I don't think. Anyway, so the in the first year in 1989, I lost all my weight by Christmas time, which was bad timing because how do you get through Christmas without eating chocolate, at least in my family, just binge foods galore. And so um, that's basically what happened. I felt that I was cured, that I didn't have to do all of the steps <laughs> like everyone else. I was somehow different, unique. And uh, I remember sitting, it was a travel agent at the time and I was sitting at work and they had these chocolate candies for the customers and I got into them and I thought successfully, I didn't eat them all. So then I thought, oh, well, look, I, I'm, I am fine. I've been making way too big of a deal out of this thing. And then the next day I had more and then I had more and by Christmas I was binging and a year and a half went by and I gained more than 60 pounds. So yeah, no control over relapse, <laughs> that's for sure. Oh my goodness, that was awful. I feel emotional today because I've just gone through quite a thing the last two months. Anyway, so you know that the acronym for binge, believing I'm not good enough, so that, that's a core issue for me. 
and I think, you know, that was one of the things that kept getting my, my mom and dad. I would hear that message from them all the time. You're not good enough. You need to be different to be accepted. And so until, so that's what I just kept going back to the food. Seem, somehow it seemed like the food was a solution. It was going to comfort me. And it was all a lie. So, um, you know, in the OA 12 and 12, in this lovely, our second edition of this book, in step one, on pages four and five, it says here that whatever the cause today, we are not like normal people when it comes to food and eating behaviors. And so it took me a while to just become convinced of this, to really believe in my heart, to admit it, to accept it. I'm not a normal eater because I, I live with, I see normal eaters. I can't do what they do. I, it's not possible for me. It says here, I have an abnormal reaction to food. What all compulsive eaters have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about food that are quite different from those the normal eater receives. We will always have these abnormal tendencies. So I have a few examples. Um, this one's for you, Kelly. The chip clip. <laughs> like, whoever knew, I don't, have you got yours? Yeah, there, Kelly's got an example. So, like, I never needed one of those. What the hell would I need that for? Because I, once the bag was open, I ate all the chips. And if I played the little game where I would put them back in the cupboard, I would just keep going to get them and get them, and they were all gone. So, I never needed a chip clip. Normal people have chip clips. <laughs> They can like leave that bag of chips in the cupboard for like a week or two and, and they get and they get stale. Like to me, that's sick behavior. Um, another thing about normal eaters, um, Angie, I don't know if you remember this. We were at uh, in Bell's Corners at Second Cup. It wasn't Starbucks. It was Second Cup doing step work. And it was crowded. This was before COVID. <laughs> a long time before. This place was crowded. And we're there doing step work after a meeting and the people that came and sat beside us, this couple, had two forks with one dessert, like they're sharing it. I never shared dessert. Like I would stab your hand with my fork if you tried to get anywhere near my dessert. So, and then we kind of like, we're watching them, like, isn't this interesting what normal people do? And they didn't even finish it. Like I would have licked the plate. It didn't matter if I was in public. When I was, I mean, I'm really a sugar addict. So um, my first husband uh, had celiac disease. And so with celiac disease, um, he was just losing weight because of what he, the gluten he was eating was affecting his system. I used to wish I could be a celiac because I would lose weight without, without having to do any of the work. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, why would I wish myself to have another disease? Like, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, and then, uh, and then the, uh, the story I have of my son, Eric, when he was like, I don't know, he was two or three. I think he was in between there at Halloween. And I lived on a street which had 100 houses. So I dressed the kid up because he was my prop. And I carried him around to all 100 houses. So I could have all that candy. That was me as an adult in my 30s going out for Halloween. But I had to have the kid and he was crying. He wasn't, I mean, he had a little pumpkin. I had to keep going home and 
emptying it out so that I could get more. Like I, I ended up with a full pillowcase full of candy. Do you think the two-year-old son ate any of this? No, I was a crazy person. Uh, and my husband was yelling at me like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you are crazy. So yeah, there was a lot of crazy things that I did when I was eating compulsively. I'm definitely a compulsive overeater. I definitely am powerless over food. I have this disease. And so when I became convinced of that, which was uh, September 13th of 1991, that's my abstinence date. So I celebrated 30 years last, uh, last year. Um, became convinced. Okay, so I'm going to just go to the big book, page 60. Uh, yes. So after, you know, how it works that we read at our meetings, uh, it's there's the ABCs. So um, clear through, th we have these three pertinent ideas. One, A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. So I'm a compulsive overeater. I cannot manage my own life. Um, B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, right? So I can't depend on a person to relieve my compulsive eating or myself and that C, that God could and would if he were sought. So God, whom I choose, I choose to call my higher power God, could and would if he were sought. Being convinced, we are now at step three. So I needed to be convinced of these ABCs, that I'm powerless and that no human power could relieve my compulsive eating and God couldn't would if he were sought. So the other thing about step one, like it's not that, it, this was the last house on the block, right? I mean, we didn't, this wasn't on my bucket list. <laughs> I'm gonna end up in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, but when I admitted, like I looked up that word admitted and it says, first of all, we see the truth. So I confess this to be true, typically with reluctance. I think that's probably the way it is for most of us. We've done our research, we see the truth, and we're kind of reluctant to admit it, but it's the truth. I'm a compulsive overeater, I'm powerless over food. I'm not some day going to be a normal eater. On page 30 in the big book and more about alcoholism, I love this, uh, this line here, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people are presently maybe has to be smashed. So I have to fully concede. Like, I think I had it in my head when I started going to meetings, but to get it to the gut level, like I am a compulsive overeater. I am convinced. I fully concede to my innermost self. And so once I um, admitted and accepted that I had a problem, then the next thing is to find a solution. And, and it's just a wonderful, um, that's, it's just a wonderful solution we have here that like we get to decide who God is. And we've just, I was just at a workshop yesterday <laughs> that talked about this, but in Bill's story, if I can find it quickly enough, yeah, the friends uh, suggested what then seemed a novel idea. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? So initially, I thought, well, God could be good early direction, gift of desperation. It could be this group of people here that are doing something I can't do. And gradually, uh, it just changed to my own personal conception of God, um, as I understand him. 
a God who's on my side. <laughs> you know, he is my best friend. He does want what's best for me. And so I just, um, I just started to surrender to this God as I understand him. And in step three, I'm making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. So I got to know who that is. Who am I willing to turn, you know, my, my uh, thinking and my actions over to? Who am I willing to turn my food over to? So um, you get to define your own concept of God. You could borrow somebody else's at the beginning. I know there was another person in, in the fellowship here that used to say, I turn my will and my life over to the care of the God that I don't understand. I don't understand it. It does. I don't need to understand it. I'm just willing to do it. I act on uh, act as if. And so, um, and then so in step three, I, if I'm making this decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand him, the way that I know I've taken, I've made this decision is because I'm sitting here writing my fourth step. I'm taking action, right? A decision is nothing if I don't follow it with any kind of action and I need to take action. And so um, there's a lovely promise in step three in our OA 12 and 12 that says, if I can find it here, once we compulsive eaters truly take the third step, we cannot fail to recover. That's powerful for me. If I truly take the third step, I cannot fail to recover. So I stopped doing the OA waltz and I started committing to the program. And I had a sponsor the whole time, but I never used her. But if you came up to me and said, Karen, do you have a sponsor? I could say yes. But no one actually said, well, are you talking to her? Are you working the steps with her? So when I got abstinent in that, in those, you know, at the beginning in 1991, I started working with my sponsor. Like she gave me homework. We read the, you know, we read the big book and we read step one in the AA 12 and 12 because we didn't have an OA 12 and 12 at this point. And we would talk about it and I would, I would do writing. So I did writing on all of the steps at that point, not just step four. <laughs> it was like, I'm in a study for life here. And so by like using my sponsor to, you know, and using the tools of the program to work the steps. Remember step 12 says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as the result of going to meetings. That's what I was doing. I was going to lots of meetings and expecting to get abstinent. Why wasn't it happening? I'm at a meeting. <laughs> like I was getting pissed off. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as the result of a good sponsor. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as a result of following a food plan. Because we can get 25 Thank minutes. You. Thank you. Because we can get food crazy too. I mean, uh, where I've seen people get so rigid in their, their food or their sort of diet that it becomes a higher power. It says as a result of the steps. So the tools are wonderful hand railings to the steps. You know, I need those tools. I love going to meetings. I love using the tools, but I have to be working the steps. I can't just hang out and use this as a social club, but which is what I did. And, and that was my experience. That's what I did. So, um, so February, or sorry, September 13th, 1991 is my abstinence date. It's when I hit bottom and admitted I was in enough pain. Pain is such a great motivator. If I'm in pain, 
like if I know I have step work to do, but I'm not in quite enough pain, I'm not quite enough desperate <laughs> to sit down at the paper, you know, with pen and paper, but it comes, you know, it comes and I start doing my writing. So um, anyway, so I put the food down and I accepted spiritual help and I became teachable. Like I didn't know anything. I just asked people for help. How do you do this? You know, I would uh, talk to a bunch of the old timers. What's your concept of God? What do you eat? And as I got older, cause I'm I'm 62 now, so I've been absent for 30 years. So, I mean, what I eat at 62 is different than what I ate in my 30s. You have to change your plan a little bit, I find. And so it was like, I would start talking to people again. Well, what, what do you eat now that you're older and we can't eat as much as we used to when we were younger? <coughs> so anyway, the other thing is when I got absent, I really started to see how my behaviors affected other people. So I did have another child in there. I have two children. Um, you know, like there's a real personality that comes with an active addict, I think. And um, it affected my relationships. It really, really did. You know, that slogan, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Something had to change. So um, so I, I became convinced. I'd hit a bottom. I was willing to do the work. And I worked through the steps with my sponsor um, and I had to change because the same person will eat again. I have to change. There, there has to be a change. Um, and I think the big book uses the term personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive eating, right? So the steps are an inside job. I had to put as much energy into recovery as I had into eating. I put a lot of energy into eating. I drove all around the city of Ottawa because heaven forbid you'd see the same sales clerk when you're buying all your junk food. You've got to be a bit more manipulative and sneaky about it. You know, I used to stop at the plaza by my house here to throw out all the garbage from the binge foods because you can't bring garbage home. Somebody will see it. You know, you got to hide it. And I was caught a few times. <laughs> so I became sneaky, you know? So, so much energy went into eating and hiding the evidence and planning it. and. So that kind of energy I put into recovery and working using those tools to work the steps and building this relationship with God as I understand him. So I do start my day on my knees, asking my higher power for guidance, and I end my day on my knees. Um, and, well, you know, it's so great to have a fellowship. <laughs> We have a fellowship that supports us, but it's the program that changes us. Even when I was away that two months and I had some very difficult times when we thought we were losing my mom. And it won't, like I couldn't, I couldn't have a phone conversation without crying. You know, some of my wonderful friends here in Ottawa, you know, sent me some gifts and just, you know, called me and, and listened to me and supported me like my sponsor as well. When I went through breast cancer in 2007, I had surgery on a Wednesday and I was at the meeting Monday night, my, my regular Bell's Corners meeting Monday night. I was drugged up, <laughs> I couldn't drive. Someone came and got me. I'd put my pillow, my arm on a pillow, but I was there. I was at the meeting, I was there. It's so much easier to do that on Zoom, but <clears throat> we didn't have that back then. So, you know, the fellowship uh, supports me, but it's the program that changes me. 
And so, um, yeah, and just what I, I know we all say this, but what a nice silver lining of the pandemic are all the Zoom meetings and getting connected the way we have. I mean, I'm speaking at a meeting based in Western US and Western Canada, and I'm in Ottawa. There's a three hour time difference, right? I go to a meeting in South Africa regularly. I even do service there. So Thursdays at noon, South Africa. I mean, you know, it's just pretty awesome. We just planned, a, we just had a virtual region convention. I was one of the planners of that. People, 1300 people from all over the world came to that. So. Yes, the advantages of, of Zoom is awesome. So, um, and I've always, I've always done a lot of service. So before I got abstinent, well, nobody wanted me to sponsor them. I didn't have, any, I didn't have what anybody wanted, <laughs> but I was planning things. I was planning conventions and special events in my, I mean, I was doing something. I was going to meetings, even going to meetings as a service, right? You don't want to be sitting there alone. Um, but when I got abstinent and, and had some recovery under my belt, I started doing service at intergroup and I've held various positions. And then I went off to region six and I was uh, the region six vice chair, the region six chair. And then I served as region six trustee at world service level for, for years. Um, and well, five years, five and a half years, I guess it was. Um, and now recently I'm doing some service in the virtual region and my intergroup and region six, like service keeps me connected. I don't want to spend too much time out there alone with normal people. And then I forget who I am. I mean, even this two months where I was away from home, I was still talking to sponsees. I was still doing service. I, we, we did most of that convention was planned in the last two months. Like I, that, that was my, I, this has to be first things first, you know, is my recovery. And um, yeah, so I, I like to do service. I do a lot of service. Um, plan of eating is, I just mentioned briefly, uh, has changed over time. When I, <clears throat> my dad used to say, Karen only eats one meal a day. She starts when she gets up in the morning and finishes when she goes to bed at night. Uh, which might have been true because I really did graze a lot. Like there was no beginning and an ending to a meal the way I have now. I eat three meals a day. I have an optional snack. I have a red light list of foods, binge foods. These are foods that are what I call alcoholic foods. They have more written all over them. I know I can't have one of those things. And, and uh, I mean, I'll have just, I'll just have more. So um but uh, yeah, so uh, my dad always used to tease me about my food. So, but you know, it, <laughs> now I have three healthy meals a day. And as I mentioned, um, oh, when I was going through breast cancer in my forties, I was on a medication that promoted weight gain. And so the, the, the oncologist was explaining about the medication and there were some serious side effects like serious, but the only one I heard was most women gain 10 to 15 pounds. And I'm like, but do I, do I have to take this medication? And he's like, well, do you want to be cancer free or do you want to be thin? And I said, I'll get back to you. But that's supposed to be a joke because I obviously took the medication. <laughs> I took the medication. I stayed within my food plan. I did gain some weight in absence because of that. 
medication, but I never lost my abstinence. I stuck with my plan of eating. Um, and so, like I said, I, I started this talk off with, with, I lost weight, but I gained a life. And it's so true. Um, I'm on my second marriage. We've been married 16 years. And we have, I, well, we have five children. My two kids, uh, my daughter just turned 31. She's here in Ottawa. And my son is 33. He'll be 34 this year. He's also here in Ottawa. My stepchildren, two of them are out in BC. So we're actually going to be in Vancouver in May for a visit. Um, and the other one lives in Germany. One's in Tofino, one's in Vancouver. Um, so we'll be going out there. Um, but I have good relationships with the kids. Like my daughter really missed me when I was gone for two months. Like, I mean, if I was eating compulsively and had that sort of ad addict personality, she wouldn't have given a shit if I was gone for two months. She wouldn't have wanted to see me. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, I just love this program. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. I always ask my higher power. I have this little prayer that I say, God, please come between me and the food before the food comes between me and you. So I have to, when I start my day in the morning on my knees, I, I think about my day and where I'm going to be. I mean, lately with COVID, I don't go anywhere <laughs> too much, you know, but there's a plan for my, for my food and my food plan. There's a plan for dinner because I'm here till I'm, I'm on this meeting till seven. I normally eat dinner at six. So I had later meals today to accommodate that. I, you know, that slogan, failing to plan is planning to fail. I need to plan stuff out. It's just, it's a good thing for me. Um, we have another tool called Action Plan, and that involves not just exercise, which I do, I walk every day, but also just having the proper foods, shopping for the pro proper foods to, so that I have them in the house, so that I can eat properly, so I can eat obstinately. Um, during COVID, um, well, I did lose a bit of weight during COVID because I just started walking more. Um, that may not be true for the last two weeks. I haven't been caretaking, not walking as much. Um, but uh, my food is in its place. My weight is in its place. And I can't, uh, doing service keeps me sort of involved in the fellowship as well. Uh, I can't keep what I have if I don't give it away. So when I think about step uh, 12, step 12 is about doing service, carrying the message, um, and I know I didn't talk about the rest of the steps, um, but I did do them. <laughs> I do do them. I mean, so I have a regular call with my sponsor on Sunday nights. And, um, and usually it's step 10s, uh, which is what I'm, I'm working on now. You know, like if I have a resentment or a fear, I start writing that down. And, and what is the resentment? What's affected in me? What is my part? My sponsor can often find something that I've missed because she's objective. She's not involved in the situation. Um, and then I give this away to my sponsor. And then in step six and seven, I'm looking at the opposites. What can I do instead? How could I behave differently? Um, sometimes uh, it's usually I'm not relying on God or I'm not accepting life on life's terms and people on people's terms. I'm full of selfish and self-seeking. So um, I need to see the truth. And, and so that I can work that through in step six and seven. Step eight and nine, I think of as the relationship steps, um, where my relationships all improved because I made amends. Uh, even my dad, 
who I had the most difficult relationship with. He died 16, 15 years ago, I guess. We were, because I made amends to him, we was, that relationship was restored before he died. That is amazing. What I just did with my mom, you know, mom and I've always been close, um, but taking care of her, the, the, and I'm sure we've all taken care of elderly parents, and if not, we will have to, but um, it was, a, I was just so grateful that I could show up and be a good daughter and do the next right thing and really lean into God as I understand him and rely on my higher power to guide me in terms of what is the next right thing. Because right now she's in a retirement residence and I, for a respite stay. And I'm not sure she likes it, according to my brother. <laughs> so I may have to go back and, and resolve things. We'll see. But I'm relying on God and the step work. You know, I don't have to overreact to all this stuff. I can take, I can pause. <laughs> pause is a good thing and step back. So um, life on life's terms. Um, I'm I'm conscious of the time here. Uh, life on life's terms, right? I mean, my dad passed away. Um, I had breast cancer, as I've mentioned. Um, my, uh, oh, and my, my, my dog, I had a, a, my, my dog, Zach, my golden retriever. I had him for 12 and a half years. He was like my best, the best thing. <laughs> I was closer to my dog than, than, than some family members, let's just say. And we were so bonded. I thought we needed to go to Codependence Anonymous because I was dependent on the dog and the dog was dependent on me. Anyway, it was difficult when he passed away. He, I mean, when you think about it, everybody else is at school and work. I'm home with the dog. He, we were, we did spend a lot of time together. Um, and I actually was a trustee at that time. And I was supposed to fly to uh, Albuquerque. And my plane, I'd been there many times in Albuquerque. And my plane was delayed that morning. In fact, canceled. And the dog had been sick and I didn't want to go. So I, my husband said, you better come back home because Zach is getting worse. I came back home and we had to put the dog down and then three hours, four hours later, fly back to Albuquerque <laughs> for these business meetings. I mean, the plane was never canceled before that trip or after that trip because I've been there many, many times as chair and trustee. And that time, God was really looking after me. I would not have wanted to have been away when that happened. And so, and when I got there, I had the support of the fellowship. All those region chairs and, and trustees that I knew well took care of me. You know, God took care of me. So, uh, yeah, so I just, I've really learned, you know, I can lean on the program during difficult times. I can lean on the program during any time. I mean, my daughter got married last year. That was a wonderful time in the family. Again, leaning on my higher power. I didn't have to go crazy about, am I going to gain weight or lose weight to fit in the mother of the bride dress? The dress just fit. Actually, I lost weight. I think I lost a bit of weight because of COVID and walking. So I had to, I did have to have it altered a bit. But um, yeah, and so the, the program works. It really does. It says it in the big book. It's been my experience. It's been the, my, the experience of countless others. I'm incredibly grateful for the program. I just want to read a couple of things in the big book here. I think I've been all over the place, but I'm going to read this. 
I was at a meeting in Los Angeles, actually, and I heard somebody read this, and I really like this. So it's in the story, He Lived Only to Drink. Uh, he says here, I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. But, and I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. So, you know, uh, no matter what's going in my, on in my life with this recent thing with my mom or COVID or anything, you know, abstinence, I stay steady with my plan of eating and my abstinence. You know, it, I separate. It's separate. And then the other thing I... I um, I, I used to go to, when we, when we met in person, <laughs> I used to go to a lot of OA retreats. I've been to many of them, probably 30, I've mo way more than that, actually. I've led a few of them as well. And one of the retreat leaders um, from New York, she, she kept saying to us, just read two pages of the big book every night out loud. So read it like to your dog, to your cat, to your husband, to your wife, to yourself. Just read it out loud because there's so much when you read um, just two pages and really absorb what's in there. And I found when I was doing that with my first husband, he actually quite enjoyed it. He went on a business trip to Calgary and he called home to hear the two pages. He's not even an addict. <laughs> so he was quite enjoying. Um, so I found this promise on page 100. We know that the book is full of, of promises. And it says here, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So I just, I find that to be an awesome um, passage to read. And so I think it's pretty much time for me to end. Where's my timer? I don't even see her at the moment, but, um, but I, I just, I will, oh, five, five minutes, um, five minutes. Anyway, the, I guess if I trust God, clean house and help others, I will, uh, you know, and continue on this, you know, trudging the road of happy destiny, as we say, um, with the fellowship. Um, you know, I just, I have a lot of gratitude and I'm, that I'm abstinent and in recovery and it is work, but this isn't as much work as it was when I was eating compulsively and being a lunatic. <laughs> so this is work that I prefer to do actually, but no one could have told me that when I was back in, in my thirties, starting out on my journey. So um, I think I'm going to end there because um, we will do a question and answer period later. And uh, we can always add to it if there's anything else, but um, thank you for inviting me, Sherry. Thanks, Audrey. Uh, past the virtual tradition basket. Uh, according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Our OA Rise meeting expenses are a Zoom meeting subscription and the cost of the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the OA Rise speaker recordings for you. 
contributions in excess of our meeting expenses will go directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message uh, to other compulsive eaters. A suggested donation of $3 will allow this meeting to, con to continue, excuse me. Um, and I'm just gonna give you a, um, I, we usually do this just to, to give an idea of where the buttons are on the website. It's very, very simple to contribute. Um, but also you can send contributions uh, via PayPal to the email address, which is info at oarise.org. Um, but if you go to the website, <clears throat> excuse me, I will screen share. And so all you have to do is just go and do the, because I also actually would like to show you guys where the recordings are, if anybody's interested. So go to oarise.org, uh, go to the website, and then it is right here. You just click that and it shows you here is how you do a PayPal or debit or credit card donation. Um, so that is how to donate to our meeting. And then also, um, so this uh, website is only one page now. And if you scroll down, um, you can access the podcasts here. So recordings are available, access the podcasts. And um, here we are. We have all the speakers. We actually just have to upload the last two speakers. So we have all the speakers going right back to the very uh, beginning, which was August 2020. Um, so yeah, so have a listen to uh, any of those speakers. We obviously, as is evident today, are fortunate to have a lot of great speakers share with us. So, uh, okay, let's go back to, oh, you guys don't need to see my, I'm looking at things for jewelry. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, um, so I, it is now my pleasure to uh, introduce to you Angie, who is going to be our speaker for the next hour. Uh, and you can handle your um, unmuting, Angie. Yeah, I did. Great. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. I'm a compulsive eater. My name's Angie. Um, I don't want to be looking at myself either. So I'm going back to the gallery. And I, I just want to tell, uh, just say thanks to Karen. That was, br that was brilliant. I just love the way you speak about the program, Karen. It's, it's always inspiring. Um, and, the, and your body of knowledge, like just everything you have in your head about, uh, the, I said about, about, like a Canadian, about, um, uh, you know, just where the passages are in the book and where the steps are written. It's amazing. Uh, so, uh, yes, I am a compulsive eater and my name is Angie. And I uh, usually have to ask Karen how long I've been in the program because I'm not really good with dates. I did put it, I have it in my phone. Um, I've been abstinent since May 29th, 1994. Um, I don't know how many years that is, 28 maybe? Um, yeah, and, uh, uh, but I'm gonna, I wanna share, so experience, strength, and hope. So I wanna share my experience before uh, recovery and then, um, you know, what caused me to come into Overeaters Anonymous and then my experience while working the steps and, and then experience after having recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, and hopefully you'll get some strength and hope out of that. Um, so my, uh, oh, I'm, I'm doing some work right now about my, my childhood. And so I'm having some revelations about that. And, and what I'm recognizing, like I've been working at this for the past few years is that my childhood was really uh, pretty horrific. And, um, uh, I, 
lived in a house where there was violence and drinking. Um, I was I was afraid a lot of the time. And um, I was early on, uh, the, the personality traits that I developed early on was to be uh, agreeable, um, to try not to draw too much attention to myself unless I was being funny and uh, to be helpful. Like if I, you know, clean up after them when they're drinking, then maybe they won't, my, she won't be mad tomorrow. Um, so just, uh, just a lot of, um, a lot of stress growing up. And, um, but there was also some fun. Like my parents were big drinkers and they had big parties on the weekends. And my mom was loved cooking and she would make these giant meals. And when they were partying, we were completely unsupervised. So, you know, we got to do all kinds of stuff that we probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, we lived in a rural setting and in my house, there were five kids. So the older kids were, um, the oldest kid is t uh, 10 years. Wait a second now. The oldest kid is like nine years older than I am. And then the next one was, you know, born a year after and then a year after. And then there was five years and I came along in five years and the youngest came along. So I was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, couldn't hang around with the older kids. Didn't want to hang around with the younger kid. That's for sure. And we were living in this rural setting. But thankfully, there was a family next door and she had five kids. Um, uh, Mrs. Day was her name. She had five kids and they were all like my age, you know, they were all a year apart. And uh, her husband was out doing construction and she was a stay at home mom. And she also was a, like a Christian woman. And uh, my parents got making fun of her pretty early on. So I learned that if you are religious or if you believe in Jesus or, um, you know, that you're a crackpot. So I, I kind of filed that away for future reference. But I loved going over to her place. I mean, she was present and, um, she, you know, she made meals for the kids and, um, the, you know, she had two little girls. I was so I was six when we moved next to them, and she had Karen and Linda were six and five, and then Brian was seven, Stephen was eight, and Dwayne was nine. So just lots of kids next door to play with. But I love going over there because um, because she was mentally and emotionally and spiritually present. So it was really nice. Um, my at my house there was like uh, parties sometimes violence, um, sometimes you didn't know if the grown-ups were going to be mentally present, they might drink, them, drink themselves into oblivion or into passed out. Um, there was strangers in the house, you know, um, so it, it wasn't safe. I didn't feel safe. And, and uh, but I remember when I was about eight, she that next door neighbor, Mrs. Day said, can I take Angie to see this, um, this evangelist that's in town? And my parents are like, yeah, whatever, get, take her. <laughs> Just get her out of the house. We don't care, you know? And so she took me and her two little girls to this place in Ottawa, the high school of commerce. And the, the guy who was in town was Rex Humbard. So I remember when we went in, um, being in like this auditorium setting, the lighting was low. 
there was music, uh, people were smiling. They all had kind of a look in their eyes, like a kind of a bit of a sparkle going on in their eyes. And, uh, and with the music, like people were holding hands and kind of swaying, you know, like it just was so lovely and comforting. And um, it, it was a really lovely, lovely feeling. I felt maybe connected and uh, well, safe. I felt safe. And uh, so they had an altar call. So I went down, she's like, go, you go, you know? So <laughs> down I go and I get bonked on the head and saved and fall over. And, and uh, so then I come home and you got to picture this, it's a Saturday, right? It's a the Saturday's party day at our house. And so, so there's a party going on and, um, and the party's like, there's card games, there's cigarette smokes, there's drinking, there's, there's, um, music, sometimes a harmonica might be out playing, you know, um, food everywhere, lots of swearing. And um, I boot the doors in, like I booted the doors into the saloon, you know, like those, those old fashioned like movies where the, you know, where the people are there with the cards and the, the guy, the, the guy boots the swinging doors in and he's standing there with his guns and everybody stops what they're doing, you know? And so they're all, they, I boot the doors in and I yell, I've been saved. <laughs> I was like, you know, eight years old. And they were all like, their cards, their eyeballs are all going back and forth. My dad's cigarette ash is like this long, you know. And uh, every, everything stopped. The music stopped. Everything stopped, you know. And they were all just looking at me. Everything was frozen, you know. And then they just busted up laughing. They laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And they laughed me right out of the room. I just went right up into my room, you know. And, uh, so I was ridiculed, you know, for ha for having this 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 spiritual experience, and uh, um, but not too long after that, I was writing to Oral Roberts because because <laughs> I he would respond like I would get mail. I got a holy Bible, and I don't know if it was actually Oral Roberts responding. I suspect not, but you know, I got like a holy Bible in the mail, and I got like little books in the mail and stuff, and. Um, so I, even though I'd been ridiculed out on the out, out of the room, I wasn't entirely giving up on the spiritual thing, you know. And I I asked God, I I said to God, I made a promise to God, if Karen and I go in the Karen Day and I go in the talent show at school and we win, I'll send my winnings to Earl Roberts, right? And uh, so we go in. We're eight years old. We're wearing our evening gowns. <laughs> You know, my mom had made me this my mom was a great seamstress so I had this like sparkly gown on and Karen had her sparkly gown on and we got up on the stage and sang Edelweiss acapella and then uh and then we sat down in the in the you know on the floor with the rest of the kids at the school and they were going through all the prizes grade one grade two grade three they didn't call us grade four five six seven eight that we didn't win a prize. And I was like, oh, you know, and then they go, and the biggest grand prize of all the whole school is Karen and Angela, you know? And I was like, wow, we won like the overall grand pot prize. And uh, the overall grand prize was $5. Like, I think they probably just, one of the teachers was like, well, they were good. Let's give them five bucks, you know? And so then, uh, uh, well, then, you know, that's $5 split in two, that's $2 and 50 cents. And then I start remembering my promise, like, I told God I would send all the money to Oral Roberts, but these there's these go-go boots at Kmart <laughs> for 99 cents. They were white. I wanted them so bad. They had these big square heels on them. <laughs> and uh, so 
well, I took the money for the go-go boots, but I did, I did tape 50 cents into an envelope and send that off to Oral Roberts. I did kind of keep my promise, you know? Um, but that was how things were for Moon God. Like I would try to negotiate something and then I would fixate on something else. And because I, because the, the Google boots were symbolic, right? Something outside of myself is going to make me feel better. Those boots over there, not God, it would be the boots over there that I should have those instead, you know? Um, the other thing that happened when I was eight, oddly enough, I think it might, I'm not sure, but it might even be the day that I was laughed out of the room was um, they ordered in some fast food that time. And um, it was like a hamburger from a place I'd never had. And I ate it on the couch. They were, they were all, you know, having their card game. I was around the corner on the couch and I ate the hamburger. And I remember that felt like a spiritual experience. Um, the hamburger filled me up. It filled my spirit. It, it was, it warmed me. It made me feel safe. It was comforting. I didn't want the feeling to end. And the problem with food is the feeling only lasts as long as you're eating it. And if you eat like me, you eat fast, you know? So I had that hamburger in there and I had the feeling, but I didn't want it to end. So I immediately ate a second hamburger, but I was only a kid and those two hamburgers were too big for my body. So then I had, then I was in agony. So I had to lie on the couch, probably like a snake who eats a deer. Like they have to lie there for a year, you know, like I was lying on the couch and I felt like my stomach was going to split in two. I was in agony. But if you think about it, um, I really was suffering. And when I went to Rex Humbard, I had that feeling of get, being connected with something greater than myself. And then I came home and that was taken away quite quickly. And then the food gave me that same feeling, that higher power feeling. But it's sh so short-lived and there's so much suffering that comes afterwards, you know? Um, that's why we do the steps. <laughs> Like the, the steps has to do at least for me what the food did. You know, I have to at least get the feelings from the steps that I got from the food. Otherwise, I'm not going to do the steps. There's no way. Um, and the steps give me at least that feeling and like, uh, you know, a hundredfold more um, things I never would have expected. But so not too long after that, when I was about 13, I guess. I got into the alcohol and uh, we'll just treat alcohol like it's a food because I had an allergy to alcohol and I had to have more. So my um, body told me I shouldn't be drinking this stuff and my mind told me I should be drinking it and I suffered all kinds of consequences as a result of drinking and uh, but I couldn't I couldn't seem to stop and um I drank from the ages, the age of 13 to 25. And I had, there was awful consequences the first time I drank and there was awful consequences the last time I drank. And then there was all kinds of crazy shit in the middle, you know, but uh, coupled with the alcohol, I was also started doing things with food, like under eating and, and binging. And I, I was also completely obsessed with my body and obsessed with your body. I compared myself to every single woman, girl 
other girl that I came across constantly. That's what I thought about constantly. So when I was at high school, I was constantly measuring my body against somebody else's body and either coming up short or coming up better and, you know, feeling good briefly uh, or feeling bad. But it was a constant obsession with how I looked. And uh, I uh, did all kinds of, like I said, crazy things with the food through high school, but the drinking really was, uh, you know, that was a big problem. And when I was 15, I met uh, my husband. Now he didn't become my husband when I was 15. <laughs> I didn't marry him until I was 25, but we met in high school. And um, he is uh, normal-ish. <laughs> He's like normal with food, normal with alcohol, you know, like he, when he eats, he loses interest at some point during the meal, regardless of what's left on his plate. It could be that he loses interest at the end of what's on his plate. It could be that he loses interest at the quarter of what's on his plate or halfway through. He just, his brain says, you're done now. And then he's done. He doesn't have this like relationship that I have with it so there's that and that was it was hard to be like beside him and know that I'm obsessed with the food and he's he's going to lose interest so I was obsessed with his food you know just like I was obsessed with your body I was upset obsessed with his what's on his plate you know like because if I and I would eat what was on my plate really quickly. And then I would watch what he was doing with his plate, you know, and I would watch his fork going up and down like a dog. And uh, at one point he said to me, like, could you, you know, stop that? <laughs> but I was just thinking, like, if he doesn't eat that, I'm going to be able to eat that. You know, I just uh, thought about his food all the time. And then I couldn't when he asked me to stop, I still couldn't. I had to kind of do it like sideways because I still wanted to know if he was going to finish what was on his plate. Or he'd say, somebody would say something to him, like, do you want dessert? And he'd be like, no, I'm, I'm full, you know? And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell does full have to do with anything, you know? Anyways, we, so we started dating when we were uh, 15. And, um, uh, but my alcoholism, you know, was, was just a downward thing until I was uh, 25. So I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, which is an outside issue, but it did, it, how I ended up in Overeaters Anonymous was someone in Alcoholics Anonymous saw that I was crazy with the food because the first year that I was not drinking, I was starving and I was obsessed with food. And I had these crazy rituals I would do. I would, uh, Friday night, I would drink gallons and gallons and gallons of water. And then uh, I would, and Saturday morning, I would pee and pee and pee and pee and pee till I look like a raisin. And then I drive straight to my way in <laughs> and I don't have any eyeliner on or nothing. You know, I would just go to my, wherever I was, my pay in way, wherever I was weighing in. And um, so I did those crazy things. And, and I, um, so I, I did that the first year that I was sober, I was starving and uh, over-exercising. So I would exercise on my shin splints. And I would exercise and cry at the same time. I, I knew that while I was exercising, I wouldn't be able to exercise off whatever I was going to eat. 
um, one time I was crawling up the stairs, like doing the army crawl up the stairs because my legs were hurting so badly from the sh the sh from <laughs> doing Jane Fonda on my shin splints. <laughs> and Scott was coming downstairs and he kind of met me on the landing, you know, and he looked down at me and he goes, I don't know, but I think you're supposed to be able to walk. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then I crawl up the stairs, you know, like just, just crazy, you know? Um, but what happened was I was at these AA meetings and this, this, and obsessed about obsessing about food. And this AA member takes me aside after the meeting and he says, you know, there's another fellowship. It's called Overeaters Anonymous. And, uh, like I go there, he says, for my problem with food and, uh, and I, you know, I'm, fr I'm free of the food. And, uh, uh, he said, it's the, it's the same 12 steps and you don't have to pay them that twenty dollars you're paying at that place to weigh you you know and I didn't even follow the food plan at the place that was weighing me I I would put the food plan on the fridge and then I would walk by and check off that I was eating things that I wasn't eating you know uh it was crazy so I said to him but I don't have a problem with food <laughs> and he said okay <laughs> But the thing was, he planted a seed, right? Because I didn't know there was an Overeaters Anonymous. Who knew there was all these anonymous programs? I didn't know. Um, I had no idea that the things I was doing with food, well, other than, you know, that it was different than how my husband approached food, but I didn't know it was, it was unusual. Um, I remember at night I would go to bed and I would lie in bed and I would beg the universe to change me. And I would say tomorrow I'm starting my diet and I'm, and I mean it, I'm going to, I'm going to stay on this diet. And I would beg the universe to change me. And then in the morning I would get up and I would wake up terrified because I didn't know if any of my clothes were going to fit me. Like, is today the day that the clothes that I've gone up to the next size is today, today, the day. And, uh, and then I would, you know, maybe by 10 o'clock in the morning, I would have eaten something that I said I wasn't going to eat. A year, the year I starved myself after I was starving for the year, something happened in my brain. And I said, I can eat this thing, whatever this thing I hadn't eaten for a year. And Scott came in in the kitchen and I was holding that thing up to the light, you know, and he said, you're not going to eat that. Are you like, you haven't eaten any of this, any, anything like that in over a year. And I said, I will never be overweight again. And I threw it in my mouth and he said, okay, you know, and he, he, well, like, he, it was kind of like, here we go. You know, he said to me, I remember asking him like, can you help me? And he, he said, I'm not, no, I can't help you. I, I can't, he bottomed out first. I can't help you. Right. I'm not going to commit to helping you because you're going to tell me you don't want to eat something. And then you're going to be telling me, then you're going to be mad at me and telling me you want to eat something. So no, I'm not helping you. But it was in my mind, you know, that Overeaters Anonymous that that guy told me about. So I didn't really do any of the steps, uh, much of step work in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I just went to meetings and didn't drink for three years. And then uh, but I, but of course my food was so crazy. And so one day I just was lying in the bathtub, looking at my stomach. And I said, I, I used to fantasize about cutting my stomach off with a knife. So I was lying in the bathtub, looking at my stomach. And then I got out of the tub and I, you know, 
got dressed and went to my husband and I said, I think I'm going to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And he said, do you want to go now? I'll drive you. <laughs> because <laughs> he had driven me to my first AA meeting. And so in the three years that I was in AA, like, even though I wasn't really doing much step work, our lives really improved. Even though I was doing crazy stuff with the food, like I was coming home at night. <laughs> I wasn't driving drunk anymore. I wasn't spending the rent money. You know, I wasn't showing up in the house with a guy. Like, um, when I left in the morning, I came back later. Like, <laughs> I became a little more reliable. Like, so he saw like these 12 steps or something to that. And he knew I was suffering with the food. So he's like, do you want to go now? I'll drive you, you know? So I called 25 minutes. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. I called and, and uh, I think, I think Karen might've been the person who answered my phone call. I'm not sure. Or she might've been the one who was in the kitchen with me when I went to my first meeting. But anyways, I went to OA and I went in and there was a guy there named David who I knew from the other program. And I said, Oh my God, David. Oh, wow. Are, are you here too? And he said, yeah. And I said, did, did you know I have a problem with food? And he said, Angie, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I was super impressed. Like, well, Reader's Anonymous has been waiting for me, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, cause we can spot one. I mean, he saw me at the meetings. He knew, he knew I belonged in Overeaters Anonymous. And then he told me it's not the same program. He said, it's the same 12 steps, but it's not the same. They're different. And so you need to know that. I got in there and I, well, first of all, I couldn't believe how the people in Overeaters Anonymous used their big books. Like I went in and their big books, they, they were like writing in them and uh, highlighting stuff. Like my big book had barely been opened, you know? And I thought, what a bunch of losers. Yeah, thanks Kelly. Yeah, mine too. Look, here's, <laughs> here's a page. <laughs> and, uh, but there was this one member Karen, who I will tease mercilessly for the rest of my talk. <laughs> and she was always at the front of the room. And she was going like this. Well, I was feeling mad. So I did step four through nine on it. I did a step 10, four through nine. And or I was feeling scared. So I did steps four through nine on it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stay away from her, you know. <laughs> but but I couldn't stay away from her. You know, she attracted me. Right. So after I was there for about nine months, I went over and said, can you help me? you know, do that. What's that thing you're doing? Can you help me? And she said, yes, come over to my house on Thursday, write down something you're mad about and bring it with you. Well, I had something I was mad about, you know, cause I had sued Canadian tire the year that I was starving because my, our truck broke. And if our truck breaks, it's not my fault. It's going to be someone else, someone else's fault. In fact, someone should be sued. <laughs> That's how crazy I was. And because I was operating under threatened instincts constantly. I thought I was surviving. If my truck breaks, I'm seven steps to homeless, man. My truck breaks, right? Well, and I, I don't have the money to fix the truck because of course I don't save any money for stuff like that. That's not, that's not me. And, um, and then if the truck breaks, then I can't get to work. And if I can't get to work, then I, then I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose the house. We're going to end up out of the house. And then I'm going to be at like by the side of the road in my snow pants with some toilet paper, you know, cause I'm always homeless in the winter, but I've always got a roll of toilet paper. That's important, you know? So I had sued Canadian tire two years earlier when I was a mental case and I was still mad. <laughs> so I, that's what I wrote about. I went over to Karen's and I had this friggin' resentment written down about 
how Canadian Tire treated me badly and how they didn't see what a great customer I was. And just like, and you know, I like I never even it never even made it to court. Like we went to a pre-trial hearing and the judge saw that I was crazy and he kicked us out. He said, this isn't going to go anywhere, you know. So I show up and I've got this written down and Karen's big book was falling apart. Hey, where's my page 65? I just had it. Oh, here it is, 66. Yeah, so Karen's big book was like, she held her big book together with an elastic, right? And um, so she goes, uh, she starts reading out of the big book. And um, this is one of my favorite things to do with a sponsee actually now. It's so much fun. Uh, when somebody calls me and they've got a resentment, uh, what I'll do is, uh, is I'll, we'll take a look at page 60. And about the first requirement is convinced that any life run on self will can hardly be a success, right? And then we they, they talk about how I'm the actor, okay? So when one of your sponsees shows up for you with a resentment, take them through this. And I'm going to do this with Canadian Tire, okay? Each person is like, like an actor who wants to run the whole show and is forever trying to range Canadian Tire. <laughs> and the people who work at Canadian Tire in my own way. If my arrangements with Canadian Tire would only stay put, and if only that stupid Canadian Tire owner would do, do as I wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including me, would be pleased and life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, I may be sometimes quite virtuous. I may be considerate, patient, generous, modest, and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, and dishonest, but with most humans, um, I will likely have varied traits, whatever will work. Well, I bribed like the transmission guy at another place with baked goods, you know, like I, <laughs> I was very manipulative. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well, and I begin to think Canadian Tire doesn't treat me right. I decide to exert myself against Canadian Tire even more. I become on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be, but still Canadian Tire doesn't suit me. Admitting that I might be somewhat at fault, I'm sure that Canadian Tire is more to blame. <laughs> you see how it is? Oh my God. I can't believe they wrote this down in the book. Like I can't believe they documented my frame of mind, you know? Um, so then I say, then they say, uh, I become angry, indignant, self-pitying and litigious. <laughs> I start suing people, man. And uh, what's my basic trouble? Am I really not a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of Canadian Tire if I only manage well? Is it not evidence to Canadian Tire and everybody else, anybody who ever goes to Canadian Tire after I've deemed they shouldn't be there, that these are the things I want? So Karen uh, had... Uh, had me show up with this list of resentments and she points out like on page 65 like that who I'm resentful at why I'm resentful at them and then starts talking to me about instincts for survival you know this affects my instincts for survival if you think about it when the truck broke I honestly felt like I was going to be homeless so operating under that kind of fear all kinds of character defects are going to come into play plus so my security instinct was affected, you know, my hunting and gathering, my knowing where I'm going to sleep at night. Do I, you know, that's affected when my truck breaks. 
And uh, well, in my mind it is. And uh, my social instincts affected, like how I fit in society, because I don't want people to know Canadian Tire got one over on me, you know, that I was taken advantage of. So my, my social instinct was threatened, right? My financial security was threatened because I didn't have the money to fix the truck. <laughs> Uh, so, but Karen had, it says, it says here, we went back through our, well, we'll say we went back to our lives. We went back through the incident with Canadian Tire, nothing counted, but thoroughness and honesty. And when we were finished, we considered it carefully. So the first three columns, and then it says, uh, to conclude that Canadian Tire was wrong was as far as I ever got. The outcome was usual, was, was that I, I stayed sore and, uh, that people continue to wrong me because I'm going around in life as a victim, you know? So uh, Karen pointed out, it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment will only lead to futility and unhappiness and to the precise extent that I waste the hours on my lawsuit. <laughs> you know, I could have been living. So she had a list of character defects because she said, we, it says here, we've got to be prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. So she had this list. It was like a fax paper. <laughs> back in the day and it was on her fridge and it was a typed list but then it was like she would go by there the same as I did with my diet plan she would go by and if she thought up a character defect she'd write it on there like mind reading you know like oh oh there's another defect I'll just put that on my list you know so she pulls out this list of character defects and she says to me um well let's take a look at your part because I didn't have my part I just concluded they were wrong that's as far as I got right and so she said, let's take a look at your part. So she, she says, get your book ready. So I got my book ready. And she says, do you think when you bribed the transmission guy with baked goods, maybe you were being manipulative? And I said, well, yes. And she said, okay, write it in your book. And I'm like, manipulative. <laughs> and then she says, do you think when you were working on your court case at work, <laughs> when you were supposed to be working for the company you work for, do you think maybe that was dishonest? In fact, it could even be like stealing. And I go, yeah, yes. And she goes, you should write that in your book too. <laughs> so under manipulative, I write dishonest and stealing, you know, and then uh, by the time she was done with me, like everything on the facts paper was written in my book. <laughs> Like I had this giant list of character defects that I had no awareness of, right? Like if my basic instincts for survival are threatened, I'm going to start living out my character defects. That's the way I'm wired, you know, but I don't, I don't know that's how I am. Um, that's what the experience is about. The, I, I now have the experience with the steps of where I get to see how I operate in the world. And so that's what she did. She re rearranged my head in about four hours. And she says to me, I didn't know you didn't know anything about the steps. <laughs> I really didn't know anything, you know? Um, and so uh, she, but the other thing Karen told me was she said, I, I said, I was afraid, like, if I read this stuff to you, kick me out of your house. And she said, oh, no, I love you even more because we're the same. Like, we have the same problems, you know, we, we, we struggle with the same things. So I leave there changed. I had the spiritual experience in the four hours in Karen's house. So what happened? What is the spiritual experience? I came in thinking Canadian Tire was horrible and I was a victim. And I left understanding that when my instincts are threatened, I'm going to operate in my character defects and I'm probably going to harm some people and that I need to make that right. 
that so she gave me some information i changed my mind to have a spiritual experience that's all it is i think one way i have a set of beliefs i get some information i get a new set of beliefs and uh, my actions come from my beliefs right my actions come from my thinking my life is the sum total of my actions so if i have shitty self-centered thinking guess how my life's going to be you know so she tells me that I got to do for step six and seven, I got to practice the opposites. So what that means is if I'm feeling impatient, I have to behave patiently, right? It doesn't mean that I'm going to have impatience lifted out of me. And I write a prayer to God about the opposites. God, can you help me be patient? But my God says, do you mean it? Like, do you really, really mean it? Because... <laughs> And then he says, prove it, because here's 17 assholes in a row. <laughs> Behave patiently, you know, and and that's what I have to do. I have to prove my higher power that I'm really committed to this process. And while I behave patiently, I become a patient person with my higher powers help. So I go home and I get Scott up the next day and I tell him. I have to make amends to Canadian Tire and he goes, what? <laughs> well, Karen point Karen showed me last night you know what my part is I have to clean up my side of the street and he goes do you want to go now I'll drive you <laughs> so we drive to Canadian Tire and there's a girl at the little girl at the desk and I come in and she she picks I say can you tell Mr. Hicks that Angie Raley's here to see you and she goes sure see him and she goes sure do Mr. Hicks Angie Raley's here to see you and then she goes oh Mr. Hicks isn't here right now He's at the gas bar. <laughs> so I said, well, can I, is, or is Mr. Mr. I think the guy's name was Cook. Is Mr. Cook here? And she said, yeah, and I said, I'll go talk to him. So this, I had to go and make amends to the service manager. And I could see the look on his face too. As I'm approaching, he's like, oh my God, it's a crazy lady from two years ago. Like, what the hell does she want? Like, why won't she go away, you know? And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, when he figured out what I was doing, which was apologizing for how I had behaved, he pulled out a letter from under the counter from a customer and had me read it. And it was about what good customer service he had given a customer, you know, and he wanted me to know that, that he wasn't this person that I was going around saying he was. And so I was able to acknowledge that and tell him that I was in the wrong. And uh, so then we went to the gas bar, even though we knew Mr. Hicks was hiding in his office and the teenagers at the gas bar said, no, he's at the store, you know, and Scott said, should we go back to the store? And I said, I don't think you're supposed to hunt them down and like, you know, like find, like find, ferret them out and drag them out of wherever they are and force them to take your men. So I'm just going to try to stay in a state of willingness. Let's go to the home show, you know, so we <laughs> would go to the home show at the local arena and who was in there, but Mr. Hicks, you know, he probably ran over there like they'll never find me here, you know, but the home show in my town's got three booths, you know. So he was there and I, I went up to him and started talking to him. He was sitting down and when he, when he figured out what I was doing, he stood up so that he could look right into my eyes. And I remember what that felt like. That felt like Rex Humbard. That felt like holding hands with the people who had the common goal. That felt like the hamburger filling me up. That felt like grace. It was amazing. And um, so he he took my amends and uh, and then Scott and I left there and I was flying. And I said to Scott, 
if this is what this program is giving, promising me, this feeling, because now I recognize the feeling connected with the higher power. Why <laughs> making things right with people, you know, like if this is, if this is what this program is going to do for me, I'm in, I'm going to do whatever, whatever Karen says I'm going to do. And then Karen's like, you need to sponsor, you know, like, <laughs> you need to lead this retreat you know? <laughs> I just did whatever she said and um and as a result I have this have had this spiritual transformation and I'm not the same person anymore I'll tell you what my food looks like I used to eat a lot of bread now I eat a lot of vegetables <laughs> you know like if I start running out of vet, fruit and vegetables I start getting anxious like I, I need those in the I need them in the house and I remember putting vegetables in my food plan was a, like a challenge, you know, like to put good foods in my food plan was a challenge. And now I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to eat that other stuff. I need some, I need some uh, green stuff, you know, which is really good for me. Um, my relationships, we have uh, three, three grown kids. They're all out of the house. We have 20, 26 year old twin sons and a, and a 20, a daughter is going to be 21 this year. And um I have like a nice relationship with my kids. They, um, they call me when they need things. They, they call me when they're vulnerable. Uh, they call me with their hard stuff. And uh, I'm grateful for that, you know? Uh, my relationship with my husband is amazing. Um, I'm his biggest fan and he's my biggest fan. And thank God, because we've been stuck in the house together for a year. Well, for two years now, you know? Um, <clears throat> he gave me a card when I was, uh, when I was 30 years sober, he said, it said 30 years sober. He made the card himself. And on the inside, it says, keep that shit up. <laughs> you know, like he, uh, he, when I was, uh, whenever I'm celebrating a milestone, um, he'll take the time to show how this recovery process has affected him positively, you know? I remember one time I called Karen and I, I was upset about something. I, maybe I gained a couple pounds or something. And Karen's husband answered the phone. And I said, I want to talk to Karen. And he said, he said, she's not here right now. And I said, well, you can tell her that Angie said the gloves are coming off. Like I'm sick of this. And he goes, silence. And then he goes, have you been talking to your higher power and writing step work? <laughs> stuff we do this affects the people that we live with you know this work that we do affects the people that we live with and that's the whole point isn't it I'm supposed to get right with God I'm supposed to get right with me and I'm supposed to get right with you that's the triangle you know got me God you I have to get right in all three areas and um so what happens as a result of that is I start to feel this peace and I I have something to give you know um and I'm not obsessed with the food anymore. I just, it's just not, it's just not a thing. I do, uh, I do though have some disciplines, you know, like I spend time with my higher power every day. I, uh, I weigh myself once a day. When I first came, I had to get rid of my scale because I was weighing myself constantly, but I weigh myself daily now. It's just to, to just to keep myself honest. And I uh, record my food. I have a tracker and I have like a, a, a food budget, you know, that I kind of, record my food against and that just kind of helps me stay on track um uh i recently went through something at work where the company i was working for for six years got purchased 
by another company and they notified me that they were just going to keep me only for six months. They want, they, they kind of stripped all the things away that I was doing and then wanted me to fix the mess they made in six months. And then they would let me go. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't really feel very good to me, you know? And, uh, uh, all these, all these companies started coming after me, like in a, Hey, Janice, five minutes. Hi. Yeah. Thanks. All these companies, actually. Okay. All these companies started coming after me and, um, in like in a 24 hour period, I had like a whole bunch of opportunities. And then the company that notified me, they were like, oh, we think we made a mistake, you know, actually. And uh, we don't think we should be letting you go. And I said, yeah, I thought you made a mistake too. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, we're going to make you an offer. So they make me an offer and they said, can you tell us right away? And I said, no, I'm not telling you right away because I have all these other opportunities now as a result of you notifying me. So I'm gonna let those play out and then I'm gonna measure your offer against their offer. And I'm gonna make the best decision for me and my family, you know? And I left <laughs> in two weeks. Did this all happen in three weeks? And uh, I, I made a giant map and I gave them everything I know about everything I did for the last six years. And they have everything they need. And, um, and I started my new job last Monday and um, I went from being powerless to being empowered in about 24 hours. And that, if that's not the higher power, I don't know what is. I mean, cause I wasn't gonna look for another job and God's like, oh yes, you are. <laughs> Here's a bunch you should be looking at, you know? Um, so things are, things are good. And, and I, um, you know, I've been through a lot of pain in the last couple of years with this, this childhood work that I'm doing, but it's also very good. If you're new and you're not sure about this place and this work, because um, it's hard work. I, I don't, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, I got some step work to do right now and then I'll have to get my sponsor, give it to her. I don't, I don't really want to do the work for the most, for the most part. Um, but I think about when I came and what I felt like on those mornings when I was, couldn't keep a promise to myself. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, I hate your guts. Like exercising and crying and thinking, I hate your guts. I hate you. And really just feeling filled with such despair. And then putting a smiley face on top of that and going out and trying to behave as if that's not how I was feeling inside. That's the hardest work. I've never done anything as hard as that. And uh, the work that we do here, as far as difficulty, pales in comparison to that. So if you're new, I just encourage you to grab on and don't be afraid. You know, it's this is so much better than what we were doing. You already did the hard work. You've did, you did all the hard work before you came to Overeaters Anonymous. That's done. And uh, the work that we do here is much easier. It's an easier, softer way. So thank you for listening and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Angie. That's, uh, what, a, what a great day, what a great day. Um, I'll go from, from there. So <clears throat> this is a, a opportunity if anyone wants to ask Angie and I any questions that, that we may not have 
answered in our talks. So we'll just give you a moment. Oh my goodness, I don't, I'm going to take off that spotlighting. Gallery, gallery, okay. So <clears throat> would anyone like to ask any questions? And if somebody, if anyone does have uh, questions, uh, let me tell you how to go ahead and raise your hand because there's two different versions of Zoom. So um, if you would like to ask a question, could you please raise your hand? There are two ways to raise your hand depending on what version of Zoom you have. Uh, older versions of Zoom at the bottom of your screen is the participants tab. And if you click on that tab, it will open up to a list of names on the right-hand side at the bottom of this list. Uh, you'll see a raise your hand uh, button, you can click on that. For anybody who has the updated version of Zoom at the bottom of your screen is the reactions tab. You click on that tab and then you will see the raise your hand uh, button at the bottom of the window. Uh, and just a reminder that this meeting is being auditorily recorded. So uh, we'll call upon you using the, uh, new, uh, sorry, the name that you have been given if you're uncomfortable at all. Uh, with having your voice or your name on uh, this recording, just shoot me or uh, Audrey or Janice a, uh, a text or a chat, and we will ask your questions for you. Okay, well, I have a question. Uh, give me two seconds to find where that went. Okay, um, so the question is, uh, I guess this would be for either of you, what practical actions do you take to stay committed to your food plan? So what practical actions do you take to stay committed to your food plan? This could be for both of you. You want to go first, Angie? Sure. You go, yeah, you go first. Yeah, so my uh, food plan has certainly changed over the years because I'm older now and not as active as I used to be and have had some body parts removed and <laughs> take some medication, you know, so things are definitely different. Um, I have kind of a routine that I do with my food. I have a, a list of, uh, you know, green, yellow and red foods and the red foods are the ones I stay away from. And it's not a huge list, actually. Um, uh, one of one of the things on my red list is popcorn, believe it or not. And and uh, some the pe normal people out there are like, what do you mean you can't eat popcorn? And I'm like, yeah, nope. <laughs> I was buying it by the case, you know, like just the, like just like an alcoholic buys their beer. That's how I was buying my, my popcorn by the case, you know. Um, so I, I never eat that. And and I, and for my well-being, we never had the kind that you would cook in the house. Like so. So that's something my kids never got to have was popcorn they were cooking in the house because that was a major trigger for me um I, I also don't eat any uh no chocolate uh but how I how I work my food plan today is I like I said I have a list I have um uh, I usually start my morning uh the same way so I get up and I I spend a little bit of quiet time I uh, do some readings I read out of the uh, for today book I read out of another couple of books and um, and and then I spend some time with my food plan in the morning. I just think about what it is I'm going to be eating for the day, and uh, and then I record the things as I eat them. Um, uh, the other thing that I do is I uh, put some thought around what kind of movement is my body going to have today. So and sometimes I have to make a commitment 
because the exercise, it's kind of like um, the exercise for me is kind of like when you would promise yourself you'll diet and then you wouldn't diet. I have the same struggle with exercise where I'm like in the morning, I'm like, okay, today <laughs> I'm going to do such and such, you know, and then like four o'clock comes and I'm still trying to convince myself that I'm going to do such and such. So sometimes I'll have to bookend like my exercise where I'll send a text out and say, I commit, I'm going to do this. Um, and then I do it. I also do, um, I walk on the treadmill while I listen to step work. My sponsees, I put on my runners and get on the treadmill while I'm listening to their step work. And this is like tied in with my food plan because I really do need to um, fuel my body and, and make sure that I've got some movement. So those are some of the things that I do. Um, also planning like, Again, if I'm going out somewhere, I, 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 I put some thought into what I'm going to be eating when I go out. So that's something I might think about in the morning. You know, like if I'm going to be out for dinner, then, then what do I need to do with the rest of my meals so that my day looks balanced? You know, um, yeah, that's just some of the things that I do. Oh, and I weigh myself once a day. Thanks. So I don't weigh myself once a day. I'm probably more like once a month. Um, again, planning my food, uh, similar to Angie, you know, thinking about the day and what I'm doing. I actually went to a restaurant last week, which I have not done in months. So, uh, I just checked the menu before I went out. So I knew exactly what I was going to be having when I got there, there was no, no need to, to worry about it. So, um, I think you can eat abstinently anywhere. I know my plan. I know my red, my yellow, my green. Um, so I know what I can and can't eat and my, and so does my husband and he's the cook. <laughs> so, so he cooks foods I can eat. Uh, in the last two months, I was at my mom's and I was sort of the cook. I'm not a cook, but, but I had, I did the shopping and the, and the planning and stuff. So, um, uh, yeah. And I think Angie used the word discipline earlier and it's, it is a discipline. I can't be loosey goosey. There needs to be a discipline. I have to, you know, I wrote out, I wrote out my food plan at the beginning. And of course it's changed over time. Uh, but I need to know what my plan of eating is. Nobody else needs to know. My mom who, who was offering me ice cream, she doesn't need to know my plan of eating. I just have to say, no, thank you. I don't have to go, mom, why don't you understand this? After 30 years, I, I don't eat ice cream. It doesn't matter whether she remembers that or not. I have a plan. I know what it is. And I bring it to my higher power and ask God for help. I mean, it's not a diet. It's a plan of eating. And it is a commitment. Um, and I do need that structure. I think structure and discipline are some of our principles. Uh, certainly structure is. I need that structure. And I like to keep it simple. I often eat the same things for breakfast and lunch, like, you know, and it's three meals a day with life in between. It's not if I need it and I know what I can eat for those things. So, um, but I definitely bring God in. So thanks. I see Kelly has a question. Yeah, Kelly, uh, I've asked you to unmute, go ahead. Hi, Kelly, compulsive overeater. So I'm blessed to know both these lovely ladies in my life in person. So, um, and they've both been uh, amazing for me to learn from and uh, be able to ask questions to whenever. Um, so 
my question is the first time I was in program, which was I had a two year relapse um, and I'm back now. It's, it's almost four months. But my first time I created this wicked food list of my red light foods and it was like novel and it was pretty much like I worked away like a diet I had this food list I was like weight was falling off it was amazing I was like yes then two months after white knuckling it and and it being absolute hell I relapsed so now in program like I've really it's been so friggin' slow. Like I started with, you know, one behavior, one food. And then now that I've been like really kind of connecting with the defining my higher power, connecting every day, praying, doing separate and stuff like that, I feel like foods are revealing themselves kind of one thing at a time. Is that, is that normal? Is it normal for like it to be gradual? <laughs> and slow. <laughs> Can I share my mashed potato story? <laughs> oh yeah. Do it. <laughs> do it, do it. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know how long I was abstinent because I was, I was pregnant with the twins. So maybe a year and a bit, I think it was 20, 29, maybe around a year abstinent. And I had my, I had my list of foods that I wasn't eating. But we went to a Thanksgiving dinner, Scott and I, and at, at his brother's. And it was like just giant, the big long table, you know? And I'm sitting there and I see the mashed potatoes are like eight people away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, there's the mashed potatoes. Yay. Oh, look at those. I can't believe they get over here. When are they going to get here? Eight people, seven people, six people, five people, four people. Here they are. Oh my God, am I going to have them first? How much soy I put on my plate? Seven spoons, six spoons. Oh my God, that person <laughs> took them before I was done putting my mashed potatoes on my plate, you know, like, and then I'm like, am I going to eat them first? Am I going to eat them last? Am I going to eat them while I'm eating other stuff? And meanwhile, this, this was during the Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, there was all kinds of stuff going on. You know, my, the twins were moving around. My husband was feeling my belly. There was little kids running around the table. There was conversations going on. There was relationships happening. And I was having a relationship with mashed potatoes, you know? So I, uh, can, I was still abstinent, but I called Karen and said, mashed potatoes are on the list. <laughs> mm. So yes, it's definitely an awareness right now today, you know, 30 years down the road, I can eat mashed potatoes today, but back then, nope, couldn't, couldn't have them. So yes, it changes and uh, it just requires me to be in touch with my higher power and my fellowship and to be just a little honest. <laughs> and, and patient, I guess. Oh. Uh, my sponsor used to tell me when I would complain about my food or something or my weight, she would say, why don't you work on your faith plan? You already have a food plan that works. You know your plan of eating. You're just getting impatient about the weight or whatever. Work on your faith plan. Bring it to God and, and talk to your higher power about it. Do some writing about it. So, But for me, 
the red light foods had to go all right at the beginning. And then I did discover some more things along the way, for sure. Even, I don't know, two or three years ago, there was another food that was kind of showing up too often. And I'm like, I don't want to have any trouble with this. So I called my sponsor. So yeah, it definitely is a work in progress and it changes along the way. But talking to your sponsor and higher power is key. Okay, uh, Madonna, go ahead and ask your question. Thank you. I, I have been here the whole time. Uh, I just uh, had my video off. And uh, I'm in Saskatchewan. We had a snowstorm. We seem to be okay now. But just saying that it might cut out seems that I'm not having the greatest. Um, I have to say, uh, it's sort of a question and a comment. So first of all, the humor is life-saving. Like, thank you so much. Um, I really think that puts our situation in proper perspective when we can have humor. So I really appreciate that. It extremely helped me to remember that the steps have to do what the food did and does still, because um, I am watching myself. I'm just like, I'm four and a half years in the program, 20 years in another program. But yeah, it's always like, it's the underlying, it was the underlying thing way before the other program. Um, and um, I'm doing even in evening inventories and being very aware of what came up during the day, carrying that over to the next day. And still uh, the siren call of some food will pop up parallel with an issue, opinion, crisis, uh, you know, that I'm putting before my own sobriety or serenity. And it's, um, it's really, it's really, I love, I think I almost got my answer just before, <laughs> after I put up my hand that, that my, obviously my faith plan has to be as strong as my food plan. My embarrassing, embarrassing, feels so superficial issue is I have not lost a pound in four and a half years. And it's, I'm on my, my last 15 pounds, which I've been on for, well, I'm 63 now. And I've been on my last 15 pounds for, oh, I don't know, 50 years. <laughs> but um, it's like, uh, when I think that way, I know I'm treating it like a weight loss program instead of a much bigger program. Um, and I've worked with different food plans uh, and I still wonder if I'm more of a volume eater than I'm admitting. Uh, I am still pretty active. I live in the great Grasslands National Park, so I hike a lot. But I, have, I would like to um, hear anything about, um, so, um, I can't weigh myself every morning, uh, at, not at this point, or if I was like up, I would go nuts. And I'm realizing when I did the, when I just did a quick little thing with the page 65, that my resentment was my own body. And it made me quite sad to, to, to realize that I had a hate on for, you know, my thighs, like, oh, come on. So I feel really embarrassed because that seems like really superficial. Uh, that I would still think of it that way. But um, if, if either of you could talk or both about the adjusting to aging, 
uh, and eating. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for everything. I have to say, I always fight food plan changes. <laughs> uh, but I know anything I if that I fight, I'll lose. So the fighting is less. I do some writing. I talk to my higher power and say this food is going on my list. So um, we were at a workshop yesterday, and and Kelly, you sent me this thing, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, the speaker yesterday said, "My weight is not my business. My business is to work the steps in the OA program to the best of my ability." Hmm. So. My weight is not my business. If I'm doing my part in terms of using the tools, working the steps, following my plan of eating, and I'm honest about it, then my weight will be where it will be. It may not be my may not be my will, but maybe it's God's will for now that I am where I am. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just change is difficult <laughs> for me as I said and I just have to rely on my higher power so um there was something else I was going to say and I've lost it so Angie you go ahead thanks thanks Madonna I I appreciate your uh, your comments and your humility um I uh, I actually weigh more now than I did when I started Overeaters Anonymous so I'm just going to put that out there you know I had uh, twins. I had another kid. I wasn't uh, like grossly overweight when I came to OA. And so now I just have a regular, well, middle-aged lady, maybe three-quarter age lady body. <laughs> and so I'm not worried so much about the number. Um, uh, but I have been stuck, you know, like stuck. I have been at a, at a, at a plateau, you know. Um, uh, can I do the things I want to do? That's a question for me. Yes, I can. You know, I can move around. I'm not, I'm not in pain. I can ride my bike without falling off it most days. <laughs> um, but I had this, uh, I had this experience, like, you know, our bodies are all so different. Like I had this experience when I was in OA and maybe I weighed a little less than I do now, even. And I went to a nutritionist and this place that I went to, I went before my Wednesday night OA meeting and I was, a, they, they put you on a scale and the scale played a song and you had to like stand there for the whole time that the scale was playing the song. And then it produced this report and the nutritionist, it was a nurse. She looked at the report and then she looked at me and she said, you, you know, you're like 98% fat or like some weird number, you know, like something like, uh, cause I, I've always had a high percentage of body fat. It doesn't matter. That's the way I'm made. And she said, so in fact, she said, you're obese and your goal should be to be overweight. And I said, I can get behind that. <laughs> and then I went to my OA meeting the same night and we all laughed our heads off, you know, because <laughs> my goal is to be peaceful. That's my goal, you know? And as Karen said, the weight's going to take care of itself. I'm, I've just got, I have a regular middle-aged lady body. That's just that's just what it is. So I want to work on accepting it where I am and where and where it is. It keeps getting lower. <laughs> Everything's getting lower. My ass is not in the same damn place. <laughs> but that's okay. That's totally okay. Thanks. 
That was great. Thank you. Uh, Karen, did you have anything to follow up with that on that? You, are uh, you good? I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so, uh, Marina, I have asked you to unmute. Go ahead. Oh, hi, everybody. I'm Marina, compulsive overeater. We covered one day at a time. You gals were phenomenal. Oh, I just took so many notes. <laughs> you got me laughing. And um, um, Karen, I wanted to say you and I have a lot in common. Um, I started it also in 1989 at Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I was in my 40s and I was reading the newspaper and they, they had a whole list of support groups and this Overeaters Anonymous caught my eye. So I cut it out, put it in my desk and then finally I went and it was it's history since then. But, um, and then we lost our dog and um, we had to put him down September January 6th and it it's still hard but you know it's grieving it's a process but my husband is really having a hard time but it, it's like losing a family member um I have a question um Karen you said God please come between me and the food so and I didn't get the second part before the food comes between me and you Me and you. Okay. Yeah. God, please come be between me and the food before the food comes between me and you. Oh, I like that. That was really good. Um, and and I want to say, um, Angie, I just really enjoyed. Well, I learned a lot from your um, Canada Tire, your story. <laughs> it because not too long ago there was a um, a good friend of ours. He put in a hot water heater for us. Well, long story short, we found out that he charged us three times more. We went and found out. We went to Menards. We found out how much it really cost. This is supposed to be a friend. Okay, so been in, being in the program, I didn't didn't go off on him or anything. I just, my husband kind of did. But I called him on the phone and he answered. And I just said, you know what? I said, I'm very disappointed and hurt by what you did and blah 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 and he said okay how much do you want so i just was modest i said okay two hundred dollars it was like if i could have said like 500 but i and he sent me a, sent us a check but i used to take things so personal and the thing is angie that i heard from you is that what is my part in it and my part in it and there's other examples too is that I am sensitive. I take things personally and I, I go, this, I have no part in this. They did me wrong, you know? And I guess in that story, my part is that I wasn't assertive enough to stand up for myself to even allow that, you know? I don't know. It, it's just, it, it was an eye awakening, you know? It, it just reminded me uh, in the old days, I would never have said anything, but Instead of calling him on the phone and yelling, I just said, you know, I'm hurt, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, but um, <clears throat> I got you gal's number because you are so inspiring. Thank you so much. And I just say, I have to say too, that I weigh myself every day and I don't know if it's an addiction because I'm two pounds overweight, but I'm not I'm really upset about it. 
maybe I am a little bit, but I don't know. I have to, I have to pray to God to, to really, should I be doing this every day? Because it's just a number, you know, I mean, I still could fit in my clothes, but I'm addicted to it. I was addicted to it before last year. And I put the scales away, took them downstairs, covered them up. And then I got them back out again. So I don't know. Do you have any, anything to say about that? You guys? <laughs> Angie, are you going? <laughs> you, you can go. I, I go through, I go through periods, even with my food. Sometimes I weigh and measure my food. Sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes I weigh myself every day. Sometimes I weigh myself once a month. Um, it's good to have the reality check. So, you know, in terms of where I am, but again, you know, my, my weight is in my higher powers hands. So I'm at a healthy body weight for a 62 year old. <laughs> I'm content, I'm con like Angie mentioned the word peaceful, right? I wanna be free, I wanna be peaceful. I need to accept the whole journey. I had to accept where I am before I would move, I could move forward. So acceptance is, you know, there's that lovely acceptance passage in the big book as well. Um, yeah, acceptance comes to mind, so. Thank you. And for me, um, I've had times where, like when I first started, because I was so, um, uh, you know, I was under eating and overeating and stuff. I mean, Karen said, get rid of your scales. And I, I was like, yeah, but they cost $12 or whatever the hell they were. <laughs> that and get rid of the popcorn. I'm like, but wait, it costs eight bucks, you know, like whatever the hell, you know. Um, but the, so I did actually for the longest time, didn't have a scale in my house at all. Um, and, uh, but uh, uh, my uh, approach these days is I weigh myself for, for me um, uh, just to keep myself honest and my numbers go up and down. It's ridiculous how much my weight changes from one day to the next, uh, but it's, but I'm peaceful. If it doesn't feel peaceful, I'm not going to be doing it, you know? So if it starts to feel obsessive to me, then I'll probably have to stop. But um I, I feel peaceful. So I think that's, I think that's the thing to maybe consider is how you're feeling. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, Karina. Okay. Uh, we have Audrey. Go ahead, Audrey. Hi, ladies. My name is Audrey. I'm a food addict. Um, thank you both so much for, for sharing your experience, strength and hope stories. I got so much and out of what each of you said and could relate to an incredible amount. Um, I'm wondering if you could repeat two quotes again. I'm so sorry, my pen and my brain are on two different planes. Um, it was the God, please come to me before the food comes to me. I have it written down. God, please come between me and the food before the food comes between me and you. God, please come. Between me and the food. God, please come. Between me and the food before the food comes between me and you. Because okay. the food, if, if the food gets loud and portions get big, the food can come between me and God. It can edge God right out. <laughs> All yeah. of a sudden, food is, yeah. And what was the other one? 
And the other one is my weight is not my business. And I missed the second part of that one. Oh, okay. That was, <laughs> that was from the, hang on, let me get that one again, just so I can get it. Um, my weight is not my business. My business is to work the steps and the OA program to the best of my ability. My business is to work the steps. And, and the OA program the to the OA best of my ability. Program. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. I have a question. Two seconds here. Um, so I have been in program a, a long time as well. I'm coming up on 28 years. Um, and, you know, over time, things get um, stale. <laughs> uh, I find myself being very um, kind of like living a life of mediocrity, like that that level of desperation that I had and the bells and whistles that were there when I first came in that made me be like, you know, all those things that happened for the first time, the, the first time I felt satisfied when I ate, you know, the first time there was weight loss and I could go into a, a normal size store or sit on a bus seat and not be terrified about the person sitting next to me. Like all of these firsts that were just so like, just made everything have sparkles all over it. But then obviously over time, things change. You get more set in how things are a little bit less. Um, the miracles aren't so obvious because I've already experienced them. And so how do you guys keep that all like fresh? Like how do you maintain your enthusiasm about program? And, um, and, and also how do you remind yourself that you are indeed a compulsive overeater because it is for me very easy to forget I'm like ah, it's, I mean I haven't had it in how many years it probably be okay you know that kind of thing happens so how do you remind yourself and how do you keep things uh so fresh well one of the what I do a lot of service I think that really helps like getting involved with different so I'm, I'm involved with the Ottawa Intergroup. I do stuff with Region 6 and Virtual Region. So I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the Virtual Region Assembly. That's something new. I'm going to go to World Service Business Conference as a delegate this year. So doing different things within the fellowship, I find, helps. Um, perhaps taking on a new sponsee. That will remind you. <laughs> you know, talking to someone who's in relapse and who's struggling uh, really helps me. Sponsoring is the, just the best thing, you know. I mean, um, as you know, Angie and I, uh, that I sponsor Angie, and that's been there how many years now? 27, like a long time. <laughs> We've really gotten to know each other. And, 150. Um, <laughs> and you, like, we really, with sponsoring, I mean, you don't always become best friends, but you really get to know that person. And um, yeah, I just love, I mean, sharing experience, strength and hope, one compulsive overeater with another is the best thing we can do. So, so to keep it fresh, I can, I can attend different workshops, uh, like say, talk to a new person, talk to someone in relapse. I just spent a bunch of time with normal eaters. And when I was at my mom's for two months, my brother and his girlfriend live in the basement. They have a chip clip, Kelly. They brought it up. 
They th <laughs> they're like, because they live downstairs. They're like, anybody need a, ch a chip clip? Like, so that reminds me who I am because I can't eat what they eat and I can't do what they do with food. That's a good reminder for me as well. So, Angie? It's more of the same. I, I um, because I'm in three programs now, I usually look at my week and say, where are my meetings going to be? That's uh, so, I, you know, that's a priority for me. I, I got to have meetings. And uh, uh, so that, you know, that's one thing that I do. Um, the other thing I do, I, I'm like you heard me say, I um, I uh, walk and take step work. I call that self-care bundling, like I'll bundle a couple of things together. Like I don't want to walk on the treadmill, really. Uh, but I do want to talk to my sponsee. So I know if I'm, I've got this time, right. Like I'm going to, where I'm going to be listening anyway, I might as well be doing something good for me too. And, uh, so I, so I'll bundle some of my habits together, riding my bike and listening to, um, to OA speakers is a, you know, another great, great thing. Uh, but Karen, you know, it is working one with another is really very, very powerful. I'm not as, uh, I'm not involved. Nobody's involved in service actually to the level that Karen is. <laughs> Karen is a machine. <laughs> um, but uh, what comes with Karen is lots of service opportunities, you know? So usually when she's like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to come and do registration? Well, no, I don't, but I will, you know, like, <laughs> and she, and because she's asked me and I come, you know, um, although like today she said, do you want to come and do this thing? Yes, I do. Yes, I do want to come and do this thing, you know? Um, so there's that, there's just staying connected with the, with the fellowship, like just making sure that I'm still uh, present, you know? Yeah, that's it. You're on mute. Uh, <laughs> Sherry, um, that's never gonna get old, is it? I mean, when will that get old? That's like the most. The that should be a the most said sentence in, uh, or, you know, the last you, two years. Yeah. Can you hear me? Am I being yeah. heard? <laughs> yeah. You're still muted. Can't hear you. And can you hear me? <laughs> so, Sherry, um, one, if there aren't any more questions, one of the things um, we uh, we thought about is maybe people in the, in the audience, if, you, if uh, we have a question for you. Uh, what actions can you take today to stay absent? Or what's one thing I can do today to enhance my recovery? So does anybody else, does anybody want to share on any of these questions? So what actions can you take today to stay abstinent? Or what's one thing I could do today to enhance my recovery? I see Kelly's hand. Excellent. Hang on, let me get rid of me and we'll bring in Kelly. Okay, go ahead, Kelly. Heart palpitations. <laughs> so one thing that um, I've actually done and really it's Karen's fault, all things can be blamed on Karen. <laughs> So I was, when I came back to program four months ago, 
it was like a month in and then she asked me do you want to speak at this Zimbabwe meet or not Zimbabwe I where was it South, South Africa, Africa. So, yeah. she's like it's in two months and I'm like oh crap I gotta stay absent for another two months so then so I had that and now just recently I learned about you know a position that somebody's gonna be stopping uh like the literature person so I was really interested in that but you need six months of abstinence to do that so I really want to do that so now I've arranged for them to <laughs> I've arranged for them to do it for two more months so I'm like great I gotta be abstinent for another two months so it's like never ending so for me it's kind of like getting involved and like you know setting goals and stuff like that that really helps thanks Kelly that's awesome thank you uh okay we have Marina go ahead Marina yes um I just wanted to say um that for me, I got a call, I got a phone call, no, a text. Um, and it was like the day before, this person that I, we um, text every Sunday and we tell each other what we're grateful for. Well, she had texted me and said, can you speak at this meeting tomorrow night? And I went, oh, because I get I get scared. And uh, I said, can I think about it and call you back? But the more I talked to her, I said, no, why am I in this program? I'm in this program to help others. Um, so I said, yes. And I spoke for 20 minutes. I, I told my story. And that is, you know, Karen, and it, that's what you're talking about is doing service. And a lot of times you don't, I can get rid of this. Angie, you said that, um, you know, a lot of times you don't want to do service, but you do it with Karen. Today was another example. I went to my three o'clock daily check-in meeting. I go every day. Well, a couple hours before, the gal that was supposed to host the meeting said, oh, I'm having company. I, can you host for me? I go, sure. And then I get on the meeting and the person that was supposed to lead it, nobody showed up. So then I did that. And then we have a parking lot, like a, a meeting after the meeting, fellowship and for newcomers with questions. And this girl, oh, she asked me to be her food sponsor. That's how it works. You know, it's just, this it, miracles happen. And I felt honored that she asked me. So um, this is just all just happened in the last few days. And I'm just, it, it's indescribable. I can't describe how I feel. I feel wonderful. It, it's a good feeling to help others. And um, I just wanted to put that out there and share that with you guys. Thank you. And I get scared a lot of times. It's like, you know, when Zoom started two years ago, uh, my sponsor introduced me to Zoom and I, for two months, I couldn't even talk. I was petrified. And she goes, just say your name and you're a compulsive eater. So I slowly started um, getting into it. Now I love it. Now I'm on two meetings a day. <laughs> so it's the fear, getting over the fear. I, I almost... <laughs> I always get nervous or fearful before doing a service commitment, like today. Um, but you know, when one of one of the things when I served as a trustee, I had to do a speech in front of the World Service Business Conference delegates. Oh my God, mm. five minute speech. 
then 10 minutes of questions was the longest 15 minutes of my life. I was so nervous, but I brought my higher power with me and it went well. So, I mean, they elected me, <laughs> so, but um, I always get nervous, but I think it's a good thing to be nervous because I don't take this for granted. I don't, I have to do the work and it's one day at a time and bring my God, my higher power in and, and, you know, what's that, uh, another slogan, <laughs> do my best and leave the rest. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Do my best and leave the rest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you, Marina. Uh, we have Madonna. Go ahead, Madonna. Thank you. Um, well, you know, listening, I realized that uh, one of the things that I've started doing that's really helped is rewinding the tape, because meaning uh, I would say all of my slips didn't didn't happen that day. They started about three days earlier. And if oh, I don't know if I just got cut off there with my I find that uh, if I look at if I, if I don't look at some little niggling thought in my head that is bugging me, uh, it, it starts working toward the fridge. And that usually started three days earlier. So if I actually can stop myself the minute I catch a niggling thought and go, where did this start? Where is this coming from? And it could be something that I need to trace back and go, ah, that's what that's about. And it's usually not a big deal, but it's been allowed to fester because I haven't really been looking at it. So I call that rewinding the tape because usually that also will explain my part in a, in a resentment um, that is, you know, my side of the street is more revealed when I look at, oh yeah, and how did I get that person to be pissed off at me in the first place? So I do try and rewind the tape. Um, when I feel something bugging me before it goes forward. Thanks. Thanks, Madonna. Okay, uh, Janice, go ahead. Hi, I'm, I'm Janice, a compulsive eater, and I'm kind of multitasking. Um, and when COVID first started, I am so untacky but I started hosting meetings and I really recommend it um, or co-hosting if, you know, that's kind of a good way to put your foot in the water. Um, and um, for me, it, it's gotten me much more connected, even though I had been in OA for probably 17 years when COVID started, um, I still didn't feel all that connected or a part of. But once you, you get so much positive feedback, even if you don't think you're doing a very good job when you're hosting, co-hosting, leading, um, and even if you're not abstinent, I feel like you can still do a lot of that stuff. And for me, it's really, really boosted my program. So I pass. Thanks, Janice. Okay, is there anybody else right now who wants to share? Okay, uh, Julie, Julie, go ahead. And oh, sorry, let me just ask you to unmute there, Julie. Okay, go for it, Julie. Hi, yeah, I like the thing you say, it's not our business what we weigh. 
I wasn't happy with my stomach, but it's a lot less than it was. And and I um, also connecting with others, calling them and saying nice things to them and praying for them and, you know, being inspiring to others. That helps keep busy. Uh, exercising, I'm going to swim tomorrow. It's, it's just kind of exercise for anxiety. He's great, bless you. I don't have a relationship with my daughter. She has problems and um, I've had them too, but she does she care. She relates to me through my caseworker and I'm going to try and get her life insurance and I sure hope I can. I had suicide attempts from 15 years ago and I'm just praying that they'll, so I can leave her something, you know, and um. I'm grateful I lost about, I was at three, 225, and now I'm at 190, 195. Thank you. So, yeah, I just started walking really long distances and weights, and I'm glad I can do that. I love doing weights sometimes. So I'm thankful for exercise and for all that God provides for us. He, he wants the best for us, and he clears the path away ahead of us, and you're, you're beautiful. And God loves you with an everlasting love. Bless you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. Welcome. Okay. Uh, Kelly, did you have your hand up again? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually will share. Um, um, so what actions can uh, I take for the absent and what actions can I take for my recovery? I really liked hearing the bit about um, the the tape and and then but I was thinking or for me, I like to play the tape through. So if I go ahead, it's like somebody said once, um, uh, gosh, what were the words? Um, oh, you know what, it's completely gone from me. So, but it's basically whatever it is that's, that I would like to engage in. Like, I remember doing this with, with, um, with Christmas cookies. It's like, okay, well, they're there and they look great and I could have one or two, right? Okay. But if that happens, then I'm like, okay, play the tape through. So I've already started the chain of, of reactions. It's like, I, if I just don't, it's like that thing of like, one is too many, a thousand is not enough. It's like, if I just don't have any, then the, that, that thought process of, well, I can have some more tomorrow. I can have, you know, cause once I start, it then becomes this thing of like, well, maybe I did okay yesterday with them. It was fine yesterday and I didn't crave anything else. So I probably could have, and somebody brought them in or whatever, I could probably have a couple of those now. And then couple of days later, it's like, oh, those were really pretty. I didn't really have any problems with the, like, you just don't, I don't know. There are times when things are okay for me, but then if there are things that are potential binge foods and have been like serious binge foods in the past, it's like, well, at what point do they, do I stop having control? You know, like at what, at what day is it? when it's no longer fine, like it was yesterday and the day before. At some point, because I'm a compulsive overeater, it will change. So it's like playing the tape through to the end of what does this look like at the end if I go ahead and engage with it. With it. And, and, to, and I might still do it, but like having that responsibility and actually paying attention and being responsible for my actions, if I go ahead and want to have something that is not you know, on my 
um, on my food plan. Um, and usually it's the, the other, the other thing actually that just came to my mind is taking like promising myself, making a commitment to myself that for today, if I have the desire to have something or if I'm eating food and um, there's more left for whatever the meal is, there's more left and I want it, but I'm full. It's like, I promise myself to take five minutes, push it aside, take five minutes and see where I am in five minutes. Um, that, that has saved my butt so many times. Because often once five minutes has passed, I, I have a clear message that I'm done and I feel satisfied and I don't want anymore. Uh, or it gives that, that space for a higher power to come in and change my, my mind process because I can't change my mind process. I can't do it. It, it, it's, it doesn't matter how much I want to. I can't actually make that switch. So, um, so those are the the things that came to mind for me. And I also really love what um, Karen said earlier about the same person will eat again. Yeah, I, I mean, I have, sh I, I heard that at a, from an AA speaker. I'm not an AA, but I attend AA meetings and uh, open meetings. And I heard somebody say that years ago, if the same person will drink again. And so I share that often because it makes so much sense. The same person will always do what the same person has always done. There's nothing to, to make them want to do anything different because they're doing what they've always done. But if the person changes, if the person can change that psychic change that happens, if the person can change, chances are that that person will now do things differently because the person has changed. The food stays the same. The food will always be there. It'll always be around the corner, always be at the store, always be at the restaurant, always be in the fridge. But if I change my, my relationship with what it is, um, that the, is the foods that cause me problems, are likely not going to have that, um, that calling for me. So I really appreciated hearing that again, Karen, thank you. Um, is there anybody else who wanted to jump in and share? If you've just joined us, the, um, the question was, uh, what actions can you take today to stay abstinent? And what actions can you take to enhance your recovery? For anybody who wants to share on that, we have probably time for one more person. Anybody? Okay, well, um, I can ask one more question that has, let me just find the Kelly other question has, we have. I see Kelly has her hand up. Oh, does she? Okay, sorry, let me get back to my screen. Kelly, does she have her hand up? Okay, <laughs> she's not just being all the fun yeah no <laughs> just just so quickly like it's even so everything makes me nervous so just doing things in the program that make you nervous help your program and like recently like I've been finding I've I've co-hosted a lot of meetings and hosted a lot of meetings but I find my mind like drifts away you know you can be on Facebook at the same time as you're you know hosting so one day it just dawned on me, like, what is this dreaded timer thing? Like anytime they ask for a timer, people are like, oh no. And then, and then so I'm like, I'm going to do the timer. And I, like, I'm paying attention. So I've started doing the timing. It's not glamorous and you have to cut people off, but I, I really pay attention. So it's just the small things that help you. Kelly. Okay, well, unless there is anything else that uh, anyone else wants to add before we close. 
Okay, well, let me just grab the script. I will, I will let you know, ladies and everybody else who's still here. I had, uh, because we have the chat turned off and back on. Um, <laughs> so uh, there was a number of people who have had to leave and because the chat is turned off from, uh, from them sending comments to everybody, uh, they've sent them to me. And I had incredible feedback and people were like disappointed they had to leave early and apologizing that they had to leave and just wanted to say what an incredible day this has been and to thank the speaker so much. So thank you, ladies. Really appreciate you being here. I'm so glad that, um, that this happened to be the meeting that you came to so I could host. So I'm really glad to be here. Um, okay, so thank you, Angie and Karen, for being our speakers today. It was really wonderful to have you with us, and we appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope while giving service to the OA program, because together we get better. A reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA members, sorry, OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity, take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. Our goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. Second goal is to support the World Service Office. We will post the seventh tradition information one more time in the chat. Please give what you are able to do so to so that we can continue to keep OA Rise going. Uh, lastly, OA Rise continues to look for members who are willing to give service to the meeting. We're always looking for speakers or speaker suggestions, as well as members who would be interested in joining our committee and those who could volunteer once a month to help run the Zoom meeting. So no previous Zoom experience is necessary and has been mentioned in this meeting. Service is a, a really important program or part of, certainly is in my program. Um, and as has been mentioned, it's important to other people and it really helps you be connected. Um, so I would really encourage anybody who wants to do some service, please come join us. We're a fun group. Uh, it only takes a couple of hours a month to, to help us out, and uh, that will help us keep going. So please send me a message in the chat. If you're interested, I'll reach out to you and let you know what it entails and see if you want to join us. Um, and again, no previous Zoom experiences necessary. So uh, thank you, everyone, for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the chat. Uh, we'll open up the meeting for the... Um, uh, will we open? No, we can't actually open up the chat, but we'll open up and um, let everybody unmute. Um, for a short period of time. Um, if you'd like to connect with others, please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speaker meeting on March 20th. Uh, we hope to see you there. So after a moment of silence, we will close with the third step prayer. Uh, I well, I, actually, I'll ask Karen to speak it aloud and, and invite all everyone else to join silently. So Karen, it has been posted in the chat for anybody who also would like to say it at home. I'm just going to read from the, I know it, but we need, <laughs> if I'm nervous, I might miss it. <laughs> so, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Thank you so much, ladies. I will remove everybody's spotlight so you don't have to be front and center anymore. <laughs> Excellent. There.
there we go. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming. Thank you, everybody else who was here. Wendy, thank, nice thank to you see you for having on. us. Oh, just what a pleasure. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really thank enjoyed you, having you here. Oh, and I need to, I can unmute people. Sorry. Uh, allow participants to unmute themselves. There we go. You can unmute yourselves if you like. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a great meeting. <laughs> Free again. Kill me, Kelly. That was an amazing meeting. I wasn't even yeah. meaning to come. And then I was like, I was like oh. Oh, Karen told me about this thing. I'm going to see what's going on. <laughs> well, do you want to come back? Yes. You want to come back? You can come back anytime. It's the first yeah. and third Sunday of every month. And you could also come back and join us doing service, just saying. <laughs> I told, I messaged Karen today and I said, because I'm, I'm doing this study that's starting on next Sunday and it's for 13 weeks. And I messaged her saying, I'm nervous. And she messaged me back saying, yeah, well, I'm nervous about speaking today. And I'm like, this is not about you. <laughs> I, I was nervous first. <laughs> so it shows you no matter how long, you know, 30 years versus four months, you're nervous. And it's, it's good. It's good to be nervous. It is. You could it say that. Uh, substitute excited for nervous maybe oh I like that yeah yeah just yeah. a little switch just a little change makes it a bit not, uh, less intimidating I think I heard that this morning on Oprah in Salt Salt Monday so excited i have to go to the bathroom no it's, just, just, no, it's nervousness <laughs> thank well, you it was an again. awesome it was, it was awesome. a nice i really enjoyed this yeah and you always when angie gets me laughing i end up crying oh my god yes Oh, there were some really great stories. The potato, the mashed potato, or the was the potatoes. Oh my god, that was so like, there they are. They're like it's, it's almost like a like potato corn. <laughs> there they are. And like the, willing, the willingness of her husband. Do you need to drive now? You know, like, <laughs> you whatever now, she needs. Like, you want to go now? I'll drive you. Yeah. That's awesome. So great. So great. Yeah. Yeah. And we I love the of, calling Karen's oh. husband. Yeah. You've been, well, you've been talking to your higher like, power. Like, yeah, you've been talking to your higher power. Like, oh my God. <laughs>